Welcome to Dopey. Oh, I didn't put the music on. I just started with, I should start with our, with the Dopey music, not this music, right? The crew? Hold on, I'm going to play our music now. Hold on. Welcome to Dopey, uh, the bonus episode podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave. I'm in Manhattan with a very special guest. He he refuses to be listed in the description. He, he won't. He used to be an open book. He won't even admit that was him recording that song in the beginning. Who is it? Downtown Ray Brown. Welcome back to the show. That's me. You know I'm a junkie. Let's talk about that for a second. <laughs> Set the, the the scene was it was last year. Uh, I don't. I think you and I had just gotten over a, a fight. <laughs> Who was that? Nikki Six. Nikki Six was coming on the show, and I said, "Ray, do you think you can?" I, I asked Brer to do a version. I'd written one, like that. You know, I'm a junkie. I, or I was like, so it was pretty similar to oh. yours. And and Brer <laughs> said he couldn't do it because it was like wearing blackface. Is oh. what he said. Oh, to say I'm a junkie. Yeah, to talk about all that. Brer's stuff. never been in character for a song. Not for not for this. Oh, not when not when Nikki Six was uh was in question. <laughs> so you come in with this, and I and I and I was with like this horrible song. I was like I can't use that. <laughs> and you got so you got angry at me. Did I? Because you were hurt. Because you had you had done you'd sprung into action. No, when I was and I told you it took me like three minutes to write and record it. I didn't do the music obviously, but. While I was doing it, I was like, oh, this is making fun of Nikki Six. It would have been so funny if you actually sat at the piano and learned how to play. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. You know. I, think I could play that. I know. Um, but uh, so we didn't. Uh, that was shelved. Yeah. For, no, I knew when I sent that to you. I'm like, this is kind of fucked up to like have the guest on. And when you sent it to me a few days ago or last week, and I didn't recognize it. I didn't know what it was. And then I started laughing when he says, um, wearing makeup and shooting dope. That's <laughs> so classic Ray Brown. Glamorous. That's classic Ray Brown. <laughs> and uh, I'm going through like, you know, I'm so disorganized. Nothing is labeled correctly on my computer. Yeah. And I'm going through all these MP3s and I see one that just says heroin. And that, you sent that to me. I was like, is this the Velvet yeah, Underground? Yeah, that's what I was expecting. <laughs> and then I hear you and I was like, you know what? Did, I think. Did I name it? Yes. Oh. <laughs> because at the end, you're like, heroin. <laughs> um, so I'm happy uh, you're back. I'm happy that we've taken the great heroin home sweet home out of the mothballs. We'll totally use it when Tommy Lee comes on the show. Because, like, why not? <laughs> and this is a weird bonus episode. Uh, I was too afraid. 
I put it on Patreon like a month ago, and I was very, very ambivalent about whether it should be aired on what, the real that show. Song? No, the ketamine people. Oh, those. Yeah, yeah. This week's show. This week's show is two doctors from a place called Skylight Psychedelics, and they treat depression with ketamine and uh, maybe eventually microdosing. I always say psilocybin, but I think it, the, pr the pronunciation should be psilocybin. Psilocybin. I say psilocybin. I, I learned this morning, psilocybin it, it, is the stuff that's in a psilocybin cubensis mushroom. It's like, it's two things. Okay, well, there you go. I've mispronounced it for years, and I was afraid to air this as the show, so it became the Patreon show, and now it's the bonus episode. Oh, this has been on Patreon? Yes. Oh, and now it's the bonus episode. Oh. I know you're a subscriber to Patreon. I'm surprised you didn't listen to it. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to say about uh, the DopeyCon video? Did you look at that? I looked at that. It's really high quality. It came out nice. I, I, you told me that parts of it like didn't work out, but it looks really impressive. Your parents were probably very supportive of you, weren't they? What do you mean? Because no. my dad, when he saw the Dopey Come video, he's like, this is terrible. Really? It sucks. It's really not high quality. <laughs> You're so generous <laughs> and, and nice about it. I told you my relationship with my parents was like, I don't know. It's like they weren't unsupportive or supportive. You were just it was, there. It was neutral. <laughs> you were just there blowing your teachers. <laughs> um, so I want. So do you think that this is too... I guess we're not going to talk. We won't talk about this till after we play the ketamine people. Um, I want to tell you, I've, I have a bunch of stories that I've saved on the show and I haven't told anyone because I figured they were for you. Yeah. I figure you should hear these stories. Oh, the first story is when me and my children, Linda stayed home, went to the, the East side, right. And, and to, uh, our cousin, to our cousin's birthday party. Like and Upper East Side, like like Sutton Place. East okay. Side. Oh. And uh, Sutton Place is a place in New York that like only New Yorkers would know about. Fancy. It's the fanciest place in New York. It's fancier than Fifth Avenue or Park Avenue. They live like in the ghetto of Sutton Place. Yep. Like well, a little well, Sutton north. Place is like three blocks long. So they don't really. Live. They live adjacent. They <laughs> okay. live adjacent. So we went there. There's and Beekman Place and Sutton Place. They're like in there. Yeah. They're, they're in. They're in there, but they're not at. They're not. It's not that fancy. Um. And Nora was like, I'll come, but we have to do something fun afterwards. And I yeah. was like, how about the Central Park Zoo? And she's like, no, Daddy, I'm not doing that. I was like, how about the Museum of Natural History? She's like, no. And I was like, okay, well, where do you want to go? She's like, give me your phone. I'm going to do some research. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and she's like, okay, we have two choices. We're either going to go to the Museum of Slime or the Museum of Ice Cream. And oh I was God. like, I was like, well, we're definitely going to go to the Museum of Ice Cream. We're not going <laughs> to the Museum of Slime. They make you pay to go in to eat ice cream. Well, pay is a is an understatement. It's expensive. All me, these, all these, you know, the, the Titanic Museum is across the street from me now. And it, there's just all these weird museums now. Right. They're all what they all are. Instagram photo ops. Yes. Yeah. So we go to the Museum of Ice Cream, and my dad comes with us. And for the first time in my life, it's because you have to pay on your phone. You can't pay yeah. without making a reservation. So for the first time in my life, I pay for all of us. Mm -hmm. All of us to get into the ice cream museum, guess how much it cost? Um, $170. $250 Whoa. I paid to go into the ice cream museum. <laughs> and then you get in there. And they try to sell you fucking ice cream. They have $12 they shakes. They don't give it away? Well, I, I almost had a heart attack when I saw that. They have $12 shakes. 
and um, and they have all this weird ice cream museum memorabilia. And then you go in, and it's one Instagram uh, opportunity after yeah. another. But then they start giving you ice cream, and it's like basically it's like a very psychedelic, surreal sort of Instagram opportunity with a lot of ice cream. Do they have like garlic and basil ice cream? No, for, we we got there. We was in like Halloween Popcorn? times. Popcorn. No, the first one was like a pumpkin vanilla. That's my favorite. Second, really, pumpkin's my favorite. That's yeah. really interesting. Uh, second one is um, was a chocolate caramel, which was just really good. Or maybe mm. it was a vanilla caramel cookie kind of mix, which was really good. Then I think it was chocolate, and I think by the by then we were sick. You know, it was like it was how like, much do they give you? Like a we taste? had like no, like a little a little cup. Yeah. But so we're going. But I see this family right. That's it's in the first place in the pumpkin vanilla place, and I'm like. These people look so familiar to me. And, and and I'm like, how do I know these people? And I realized I didn't know any of them, but the woman looked really familiar. And I was like, who is she? How do I know her? I was like, did I date her? Like, <laughs> and I was like, I think she's a porn star. Oh. And, it, and it, I had the same register in my head as though I had dated her. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, do you, you can you go up to a porn star with her family no. in the ice cream museum? No. And I'm just like, nah. and I realized it wasn't her. But what a weird thing. So you don't know who she was. I, I think she looked like a porn star. And I, I think I think imagine you're a porn star with your family at like the zoo. Or the ice cream museum, yeah. and how horrible that oh must be God. for fans to come up to you. Yeah, it can't be easy. Johnny Sins. Well, I think it's not as bad for him. Yeah, as like his wife. Yeah, whatever her name is. I, I, Patricia. I met a porn star at a meeting. Really? Yeah, a porn star. Who that, was it? Long Dong Silver. I, I'm not gonna say. Who was it? But we became friends. There's a porn star in the Dopey Nation. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I forgot her name, and a bunch of people wrote me, like, you got to get her on, and I wrote her, and she never wrote me back. Well, I went, I started hanging out with him, and I wound up in his apartment. Was it Johnny Sins? No. Um, but I was like, are we going to have sex? But we didn't. But There's it, a camera crew, and he's like, all right, yeah, let's go. It was just weird. He's like, I have to go upstairs for something. It, I don't know. We wound, I wound up in his apartment. It wasn't Johnny Sins? No. Was it Long Dong Silver? <laughs> yes. It was? <laughs> no. Was it Lexington Steel? <laughs> yes. Who was it? I'm not going to say. You're not going to say? <laughs> well, I also, I knew his porn name and I knew his real name. And then I ran into him on the street and I called him by his porn name. I never acknowledged that I knew he did was in porn. I can't think of any other male, um, male porn stars' names. Well... You wouldn't know this person. Are you sure? I'm totally sure. It's like it's an obscure like porn star. Was there any kind of like genre to the pornography he made? Uh, yes. What was it? <laughs> I don't want to say. Oh come on, Ray. What's wrong with you? Was it 69 specialty? Was he a cop in the films? Yes. And the And the John was a 69 expert. Did you see about Johnny Sins at like was it at FIFA FIFA? No, let me. What happened? That oh wait, where was it? It was some sports thing, and they're like, "We'd like to honor our men in the military." And they had the fans send in pictures of their relatives who were in the military, and somebody sent in Johnny Sins dressed up as a soldier, and they had it in the stadium. 
So you're not going to admit what kind of no, porn moment? No, no, no. Was it have anything to do with 69 and cops? No. Nothing? No. <laughs> When's the last time you took a shower with your clothes on? Honestly. Uh, yesterday. No, you did not. I did too. You're still at it. Yeah. That's a real thing. Yeah. That's not just shtick. No. When's the last time you 69 the law enforcement? I don't know. Okay. Um, <laughs> like recently. Do you want to hear an email? Yeah. All right. Um, oh, listen, I, I don't know if I read this. This guy's like, hey, Dave, when are you going to get it together and make the music from the show available for us to buy? I would love to buy Forever in Debt along with something from Ray. Also, what happened to the documentary that Chris's family was going to make? Oh, yeah. Thanks, longtime fan Kelly. How could we make... It's up all up there, isn't it? My music's all out there on Spotify. But not your dopey music. Oh, I like, did. Like the home sweet home. Yeah. Oh, I is, see what he you means. You know, yeah. this dopey dopey podcast isn't up. I is did it? put up dopey con on Bandcamp. You did? Yeah. With so a picture of you. Re- I, did I, really? You didn't see, you didn't know about that? No. Oh. It was a good picture. It's a group picture from dopey con. And then I realized, oh, I didn't get like permission. So then I got permission from, it's like five people from dopey con. So if I wanted to do a dopey. You do a dopey band camp. What because that would be easier than a dopey Spotify. Spotify is a fucking pain in the neck. Do you think we could get away with your heroin rendition of Home no, Sweet Home? No, Spotify would not allow that. Even I, though it's a parody. Um, my last album, I tried to get on Spotify, and they were like, "There's unauthorized samples in there." And I talked to my producer, and we couldn't get them off. And it was like tiny, and uh, no, they, I so I put it on Bandcamp. All right, so look for perhaps a dopey. Band can't like I don't have enough to do. I'm gonna put together. Send it to me. I'll do it. You're gonna do it. I have several band camps. So you're gonna make a dopey band camp, and we're gonna have to get you all the music. You're gonna get angry and not want to do it. I'm not doing. I'm not. (laughs) I have. I'm not playing this game. I have filthiest nation band camp. Don't I? No, I have that. No, I have SoundCloud. There is no band camp. Oh, okay. But uh, that's something that might be in the works. Fan Kelly. I think we're going to just play the ketamine people. or should, No, let's do another email. Here's, okay. a, here's another email before the ketamine people. You yeah, ready? I'll do, I'll do that. Send that. Oh, How stop. many songs There's is a it? million songs. There's, three, there's a million songs. Oh, like Brady's and all that? Yeah, everything has to be there. Oh. Everything Well, then you'd have to get permission from all those people. I'm sure they would give it's, it to it's, you. It's, I think it's impl- implied. By, by sending it yeah. in, yeah. Yeah, if you've sent in the firecracker, Scott Wick, fucking oh, yeah. all like, that shit. There's yeah, a million there's hundreds, things. Yeah. A million things. Um, all right. Hey man, I've wanted to write oh, by the way, this week was Garrett Garrett Gilroy, aka Sloppy Jones, fiftieth birthday. He Happy uh, birthday. he shamed me into posting a horrible thing where he said, This is what I posted on Facebook for Garrett. I'm just gonna announce his birthday because Garrett's like an unsung hero of the Dopey Nation. I don't think he's in Dopey Nation Facebook. Yeah. Uh, he was a huge fan of Good Morning Dopey or Deep Yet Shallow Dive into the Daily Reflections. He commented on like 90% of them. He loved that. Oh. He doesn't really like the show. He doesn't like oh, Patreon. Oh, he just likes Good Morning Dopey? He just liked Good Morning Dopey. And he, he was on the show twice, though. Oh, he lives I went, on Long Island? No, he lives in North Carolina. He, I went to college with him. Oh. He wrote... You oh can, wait, that's the guy that wrote that song. Yes. Oh yeah, the death that was my song. favorite. Yes, <laughs> he wrote. You can go ahead and post the following on my Facebook page, Garrett. I'm the worst. I didn't wish you a happy fiftieth birthday on the Facebook. I'm a self-centered slob, and you are the finest man that ever was. 
Glory to God for gracing us with you. Happy birthday, <laughs> and I will go ahead and punch myself in the face to make amends to you. Love always, dopey, snot sock, David Mannheim. And he misspelled <laughs> my last name. That guy's funny. Yeah, he is funny. All right, so happy birthday, Garrett, and let's get on to the, to the email. Hey, man, I've wanted to write you for a few years, but now I'm getting around to it. I was secretly addicted to cocaine, mostly crack, for about five years. I found your podcast early in my recovery, and I've been a regular listener for a little over three years now. At first, Opie was a way for me to keep close to drugs, addiction, and dumb shit without having to suffer the consequences of drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. Recently, however, I've been getting a lot of inspiration from you and your guests, conversations about overcoming addiction to live a better life. You are an inspiration to me, Dave. That's nice. You put your heart and soul into Dopey, and it really shows. Listening to your growth as a podcaster, father, husband, and human over the last few years has been so cool. I've got to be honest. My first impression of you when I started listening to Dopey was that you were kind of an asshole. But in the last two years or so, you seem to be much more grounded and caring. Maybe I'm just getting used to you. I think that's what it is. Anyway, I have so many Dopey stories, and I've thought long and hard about which to share with you, so here goes. At the height of my crack addiction, I was bartending in downtown Salt Lake City. One night after work, I went out with some coworkers and we had a few drinks before last call. Around 1 a.m., we all left the bar to go home, except me. I rode my bike down to the dope spot in the pouring rain. Part of my problem was going to the hood to cop was that I could never make it home before smoking my whole stash. So I would spend hours upon hours buying $40 to $50 of crack at a time, smoking it all on my way home, and then turning around to get more. Well, this particular night, I ran into a gal who went by the name of Tic Tac. Since it was pouring rain, she invited me into her hotel room to smoke some crack. The ho Did you smoke crack on that Tallahassee relapse? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the hotel room was just like you would imagine, very dumpy. She was sharing the room with this African guy who would wake up periodically and yell at us for smoking the crack. She also had a friend with her who was alternating from peeking out of the blinds to hiding in the closet. Dave, I was so fucking high. At one point, I was trying to jerk off for her while we watched oh my porn God. on my iPhone with this poor African man sleeping like four feet from us and her friend who kept peeking out the blinds and hiding in the closet. So gross. Now, Tic Tac was a small-time dealer and a big-time hustler. She kept selling me little pieces of crack all night, and when I ran out of money, she agreed to take my bike, which was locked to a pole outside of the hotel, until we went into my house where I had more money. But first, we had to run some random crackhead errands. I remember she made me and some other crackheads we picked up put on high... Visu visibility vest so we could look like construction workers. She said that way we wouldn't get pulled over. By the time we got to my house, I was so over it and just wanted her to leave. So I gave her way more money than I should have so she would get the fuck out of my house. By the time it's about 8.30 in the morning and I have to be back at the restaurant at 10 to set up. So I fiendishly push and scrape every last bit out of my busted and disgusting pipe. Uh, go get my bike before Tic Tac gets to it and then go over to the restaurant. When my shift was over, I sat at the bar and fell asleep, sitting while drinking my beer. Everyone laughed because they thought I was just hungover. Shit like this continued to go on for years without anyone ever knowing what was really going on. That wasn't the last I ever saw of Tic Tac either. We had a couple more adventures, which I would be happy to share. Ha ha. So glad those days are behind me. 
Dave, thanks for what you're doing. Dopey is such a cool podcast, and you do a great job with it. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Critch. Since Chris, sincerely, Roachman. Roachman. P- please don't use my name in the email. I would like to remain anonymous. P.S. I'm a big fish, Grateful Dead jam band fan. For some reason, I felt like you needed to know this. I have many LSD, cocaine, and nitrous-filled tales of debauchery from my younger days of partying at fish shows. I'd love to hear a guest from that realm. P.P.S. Have you ever listened to much Billy Strings? The guy is incredible. Um, what do you think of that? That's quite a story. I've, yes. been, I've been hearing a lot about Billy Strings recently. Have you heard him? No. Well, yeah, I think I did listen a bit. Because Katie was talking about him when I met them at the airport. His guitar playing is like off the off the chain. It's really, really crazy. How do you be a secret crackhead? I guess he wasn't smoking crack at work at bartend, when he was bartending. I think it's much easier to hide crack and coke than heroin because you don't need to constantly be getting it. I bet his friends and coworkers thought something. We don't know what's happening, but something's happening. Yeah, they knew. They knew about Roachman. Also, <laughs> also, I think the telltale is that his name was Roachman. They had to know. But that thing of like, that's so gross how drugs turn you into like, like a machine or like a zombie. Like it's like we, those the the ants that that thing invades them and they behave crazy. Um, or yeah. the crabs like that thing. It's like a parasite gets inside you and making him bounce back and forth like a, you know, like a clock. Well, it's obsess. It's obsession. And I figured my I figured you would like the African man with the jerking off to porn and Tic Tac as the small time hustler. Tic Tac like the breath mints. That's what she named herself after. Yes, <laughs> it reminded me of one of Chris's stories. Which one? The 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 hotel. Which one? The brain the brain guy or the hotel? The jerking off guy. Oh yeah. He didn't and Chris didn't even understand why that was on. Um all right. So let's get to the ketamine people, Ray. You ready for the yeah, ketamine yeah, yeah. people? All right, here we go. Before we get to the ketamine people, yeah. I just want to say that I think the ketamine people are gonna be very controversial. Oh yeah. I think this will be when I was listening, I was like, Oh man, this is gonna cause like War and dopey. So trolls of dopey social media, get ready because now is the time. And also, somebody, I don't know, in the middle of the night. Are post- we recording? Yes. Okay. Someone posted on Twitter in the middle of the night. I really like dopey, but the interviewer interrupts too much. Yeah. It's like listen, it's like, <laughs> what? Just it was like I really like dopey, but the interviewer, as if that's a separate thing from dopey. That's what I wrote back. I was like, and then I'm I'm in this war also on Twitter with a really big time dope yeah. who thinks it's wrong of me to want interns. He's like, he's like, you're so Gen X, Dave. And I was like, <laughs> Wait, what, what does you? that mean? Because he thinks that I he thinks that that I that I should just pay interns. Like, and it's like, why would I pay interns? You know, I mean, interns yeah. can get school credit yeah. to help working on the show. Yeah, if you're like an audio visual student, or well, we're looking for what do you call that? We're looking for production interns. Yeah. We're looking for publicity interns, promotional interns, yeah. and publicity um, interns, publicity and art interns. Yeah, and then this guy on Twitter, benevolent bandit posted a gif of somebody making a disgusted face saying that I was a cheapo Gen Xer <laughs> who doesn't under who, who takes advantage of, of this economy. I don't understand the Gen X thing because it's like all generations have had interns. So you agree it's not crazy to have an intern? No. 
If you're a student or a young person or an old person who needs something to do and you want to intern on Dopey, drop us a line at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. If you have a good drug story, that would be great. It's probably a more interesting internship than a lot of them. Yeah, and if you're actually really good at it, I will hire you. I think a lot of interns just get coffee. Oh, that would be great if we had somebody getting us <laughs> just coffee. Getting coffee all yeah. day. What I, I have a lot of things <laughs> for interns to do. A lot of things. A, a friend, my, not a friend, my nephew or my cousin uh, came to New York to be an intern for Trudy Styles, uh, Sting's wife. True. Yeah, I actually worked for her. Oh well, he was going to be Trudy Skyler. Trudy Skyler. He was going to be her intern, and he was surprised that what he did was got coffee. Wow. I, one time, there was this guy. Right. Yeah. His name is Baldomero, and Baldomero shot pictures for Katz's, and he made the photo book of Katz's. Yeah. And um, and and. I was working on The Last Jewish Waiter. Yeah. And Baldomero came in as the third partner on The Last Jewish Waiter. And he shot it. He cut one of them, I think, or two of them. And uh, he was doing a shoot with Trudy Schuyler at this famous hotel in Midtown. Yeah. And uh, he asked me if I could go help him on the shoot. And I was like, okay. So I went to go help him on the shoot. And Trudy Schuyler was like, amazing. If that's it, her name. I don't, I'm not sure if that's her last Trudy's name. Trudy's her name. Yes. I don't remember her last name. And... Um, It'll be so stupid if her name isn't Skylar now. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I have, to, I have to Google it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sting's wife. Her name is Styler. You were right. Trudy Styler. Uh, so, so I apologize. I was walking down the street one time, and I saw somebody, and I'm like, oh, shit. I know this guy from somewhere. This is like your porn star. I'm like, what is his name? I'm going to have to see. He was looking right at me. I'm like, oh, I got to remember his name. And then I realized, oh, it's Sting. And he's surrounded by bodyguards and his children. And I'm like, I just walked up. I think I saw Sting on the High Line alone. Really? And I regretted not going back and talking to him for like an hour. There was a doc, there was a movie, a TV show on Netflix about acid. And he was like, he had a million acid stories. I, I saw that. So so at, so we're with Trudy Styler yeah. and she's like super fun yeah. and like vivacious and a little bit flirty. Yeah. You know, and uh afterwards I'm going home and Baldomero texts me and he goes, Trudy just texted me and she wanted to know if we'll have a threesome with her. Are you serious? And for, for like five blocks, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I could do it with two guys. <laughs> and then he wrote, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh it was funny. All right, let's get to the ketamine people. So again. Dopey social media trolls, get ready. You ready? Yeah. Here we go. So what's going on? I'm in, we're in Manhattan. I'm with two doctors, one who I accused of being a PhD. Uh, I don't know your last name. Let's start over. What's your last name? Lerman. Lerman and and Scott Bienenfeld. Well pronounced well, and I'm rare, Jewish. but yes. Lernan? Got it right. Lerman. Lerman. L-E-R-M-A-N. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So what's going on? I'm, I'm in an office in Manhattan in Chelsea with Dr. Dana Lerman and Dr. Scott Bienenfeld of Skylight Psychedelics. Scott is wearing a black trucker hat that says psilocybin on the top and skylight on the rim. And Dr. Dana is wearing a dopey hat. Appropriately. Welcome to the show. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Thank you so much for having us. We're glad to be here. 
before we say anything else, your shirt says decent. Or does it say it, descent? <laughs> it says decent. Descent um, would have an S in it? Yeah, descent would have an S. It's a reference, actually, to a TV show. What, what's the TV show? Trailer Park Boys. That's funny. That was Chris, that? Chris always talked about that show. I am so not surprised to hear it. He talked about that show in relapse. He was, one of the last things he said before he died was, Trailer Park Boys is a really entertaining show. My son got me into it at an inappropriately young age, and then we, I kind of, you know, they have like 12 seasons or something, and he made me binge watch all of it, and it was well worth it. Awesome Be- show. Before we talk about uh, Skylight, Psychedelics, or Trailer Park Boys, or anything. I want to. I want you to talk about how you knew Chris. Um, that takes I, precedent for me. <laughs> yeah, well, I have to take a beat on that one because obviously that you know brings up certain feelings. But I met Chris through Joe Schrank. Mm. We were running a um, an outpatient rehab, uh, substance abuse, you know, addiction rehab program in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, uh, right adjacent to and really with uh, Loft 107 that Joe started. And we were looking for somebody to help us out and work and sort of you know, be collaborative, be the kind of office manager, the house manager, take care of all of that. I think that Chris had come across Joe through the fix. He had approached him wanting to write some articles. Chris was just a very heady, smart guy, literate. He was just into obviously you know, spreading the gospel. And you know, I remember Joe introducing me and saying, "Yeah, this is you know Chris O'Connor." And I'm thinking, "All right, who is this kid? Like, what's this kid going to do for us?" And you know, it kind of started from there. What did and, he do uh, for you? Yeah, so Chris really ran the show. He was amazing. You know, we bonded like instantly. Um, you know, he his family had a place in Anguilla. My wife and I go there all the time. We're like, "Oh, we're going to be friends for sure." Does anyone pronounce it Anguilla, or am I yes, just off about people that, that are off Anguilla? pronounce it that way? Everyone says Anguilla. I say Anguilla. It's Anguilla, yeah. I think if you yeah. go, you know how to pronounce it. Yeah, exactly. Well, Chris went a lot. In fact, some of I, I'm sure he has some, uh, some dopey podcast stories about his drug escapades getting chased through the islands because he told me all about them. Yeah, the trash for hours can. The, upon I think it was, tra- it was. He shot. I think it was trash can full of. It was either it was either one of his puddle water shooting things. It was trash bag full of coke. But I don't remember. He didn't ever have a trash bag full of coke, so that couldn't have been it. And before we say anything else, the good doctors here were at DopeyCon, which was very meaningful to me. Who did you bring? You asked to bring someone, but I didn't meet anybody. Mm. They couldn't make it. Yeah, they couldn't make it. So what? Tell tell them how great DopeyCon was. I mean, look, DopeyCon was unbelievable. Hold on, before you say another word, I need total unbridled truth. No, no, making me feel good and the fact that you're on Dopey. What was the worst thing about DopeyCon? Dr. Lerman. Shit, there was something. Okay. Um, was it me? Probably. No. Was uh, it my dad? Was, no. Okay. Actually, oh, there were no vegetarian uh, ah. options. There was. <laughs> How, then there you were pickles. Left. No, the you left quickly. It was the smell of the pastrami, and then I was, um, I was thinking that, who said it? Was it Novak who said there are no vegetarian options? Someone said Marin. it. Marin. Someone said it. Mark Marin said it in right. a video. Exactly. But then you didn't stay late enough because as I'm interviewing MC Search, my phone is going off the hook and I'm like, what the fuck I is remember this? That. And what it was was I had a vegetarian option of uh. rice and beans arriving <laughs> and I didn't delegate that properly. It's not fair to make a vegetarian smell Katz's, Katz's deli because it's so good. And then give them rice and beans. Many a vegetarian will relapse on pastrami. I, I mean, believe, I, I felt I felt that 
pull, so I had to go. So you're saying you, you didn't stick around she for ran the rice and there. beans. Yeah. So that was the worst thing for you. That, yeah, so that's a compliment for you. Dr. Bienenfeld? <laughs> you know, I was going to say it was the lack of beverage options. I was looking for my Dr. Browns I to know. go with it. I was like, I, really? I know. It's funny Black because cherry. I had to kind of choke down the pastrami, you know, which was amazing. But, I, you know, that's fair. It, it, it takes care of itself. I had to choke down the yeah. pastrami. <laughs> well, you, you didn't have water? Down something. Yeah, the water ran out by the end. But you know what? DopeyCon is interesting because you walk in there, you know, we were like, we spent about... Maybe 10, 15 minutes, like, okay, like, what are we walking into? We had no uh-huh. idea what to expect at DopeyCon. We didn't even know what to wear to DopeyCon. I don't remember <laughs> what you guys wore. Oh, I had, to, I had to change my fucking outfit because I was wearing something totally different. And, I, and then I, I pulled up and I was watching people go in. I was like, okay, I got to go circle over there and change my whole outfit and then go inside. Where did you have an extra outfit? Oh, I, I came from Denver, so I had a. Oh, you had your you had your suitcase. So where yeah. did you change in the car? In the trunk. I'm a very. You did not agile. What was the What was the outfit that you started with, and it what did you change so into? It was so great. I swear to God, we need stethoscope. To hang out and I need to wear it. I need to wear it for sure. I should stay another night, and we should go out. What was What was the outfit? It was just a really cool shorts romper outfit with really high boots that like go. Over the knee. It okay. Was, it was Very a superhero outfit. outfit. It, was su- it was really honest. So what did you put on? Like the junkie outfit? And then I changed into my junkie outfit. You were like, <laughs> With fuck. With my mountainside hat. I look too good. I look too good for this. Because that church is like, it's the biggest food pantry in New York. Oh, is that right? And like, I grew up on the other side of the street. And the other side of the street is very gay, expensive Chelsea. And on that side of the street, it's like junkie town. Mm. And I didn't even realize it until we were setting it up. All these crazy people. I was like, fuck. Well, that's New York, block by block. I know. I know. So um, I would love to sit here and hear about how much you love DopeyCon. But I want to talk about uh, psilocybin. And I want to talk about ketamine. And I want to talk about the controversy. And I want to talk about what Skylight Psychedelics does. But let's not talk about that. Because I don't want to get crazy bigging you guys up. Let's talk about it right now. We've talked about, I said talk about like 10 times in a row. On the show, we often will discuss ketamine as relapse versus ketamine as a tool. And one thing that I think is really interesting and doesn't get discussed enough anywhere is how, and I'm a member of a 12-step group, and the founder of the 12-step group got sober in a psychedelic experience. And it's never right. fucking discussed. Right. What the? What? Do you, what's your take on that, Doctor Bienenfeld? I don't think it comports with you know the the twelve step message necessarily. It's, right. It, isn't it, it, it odd? It, it though? just complicates it. So they're better off not you know bringing it in. I don't think they knew how to handle it. I think I read Belladonna treatment a hundred times, and just figured it was a different treatment method, like or some kind of Catholic religious Italian hospital or something. I. I had no idea until someone was like, no, it's a psychedelic medicine, and that's what triggered Bill's white light experience. How akin to that is ketamine, ketamine and, and psilocybin? And I always said psilocybin, but that was wrong. I mean, it's right up in there. It's every bit akin to it, right? Um, and again, you know, we can't have this conversation without talking about the politics behind it, you know, and the laws and, and legal history that people I'm sure listening are totally aware of but you know these medicines and we don't call them drugs at skylight psychedelics we like to call them medicine I mean ketamine is a medication but other other things like psilocybin DMT LSD we look at these as as medicines they are being studied as such and they're showing great promise but these medicines got swept up in the tide 
of uh, the drug laws in the 60s and the 70s that kind of just like outlawed everything and just everything got swept up, right? And so I think that's also part of it. Right? Let, let's talk about ketamine in general. Like, what was, I w it was a tranquilizer. What was, well, please explain it to me because I don't want to tell you something that's not it, right. Sure. So ketamine is a dissociative anesthetic. So it's used, it's Sounds been delicious. used since, the, just, since so. the 70s. It's interesting that we hear that a lot, but it's actually not delicious. So you're not, when you do ketamine in a therapeutic space, it's very different than blowing ketamine at a rave, right? Set and setting is No, just really disassociative important. anesthetic sounds like something I want. I, mean, I know. But I'm a sick I person. I know, I'm telling you that, but when you do it in a therapeutic space, it is, it is not always the most amazing experience. So you're actually doing deep work on yourself instead of, you know. Yeah, I'm, and I'm not disputing it. I'm just saying, unfortunately, like something... Triggers you. Trigger the, the yeah. words totally. <laughs> make me interested. Right. You know? right. It's like, it's like at, at when, when someone talks about finding drugs, mm -hmm. to this day, I'm like very interested. It's just a weird trigger. So it was, what was it made for? When was it first used? It was in the 70s, in the but 70s. what was the purpose? So it was a battlefield anesthetic initially. Amazing. I mean, it's one of the safest medicines. So it's used in anesthesia. It's used in veterinary medicine. Right. Um, it was supposed it's to be like the chil children, by the way. People yeah. would always say horse tranquilizer, and and, and back I in know, the day, I remember that. That was the big phrase. Well, they say horse tranquilizer, but they don't say, um, you know, children in emergency rooms with burns and dislocations, and we use it in kids all the time. Well, somehow horse tranquilizer tranquilizer also sounds delicious to me, whereas children's emergency room fire burn sounds less appealing. <laughs> and I wonder why. I'm not. I'm not so interested. Uh, but I, what I'm really interested in is you rarely hear, or again, I'm just a drug addict who does a podcast, but I rarely hear about a substance that is anesth anesthetic mm -hmm. and psychedelic. How many of those are there? That's a great question. Yeah, Thank I you. Think that that's probably it's on its it, own. Yeah, honestly. ketamine it's, is its, its own thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a really dose-dependent phenomenon also because if you, you in anesthesia, you need a really high dose of ketamine to get someone in that space. And for mental health, you use a much lower dose. Okay, so how did they figure out that it was a psychedelic? Well, that's you take it and you know, <laughs> right? It's um, also it's controversial not a, yeah, whether it or not it's a classic psychedelic. It, right? It's not a classic hallucinogen like psilocybin. So or what makes it psychedelic? Um, to me, I mean, it, it, like I said, it's controversial. But I mean, psychedelic means mind manifesting. And if you've ever taken ketamine in a, in a therapeutic space, then you know what that is. I wish. I, or, any, or any space. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. t when have you taken it and what was the purpose? And sure. t tell us about it. So it's really important um, for providers of psychedelic medicines to actually have experienced the medicine themselves. So um, you can more effectively hold space for that client and know what they're experiencing, um, which is really different than any any other field of medicine, right? You're not doing antibiotics, like testing, <laughs> right? It, right. I mean, testing that out. Um, but so I did it as part of my training. So I did a year-long um, course in psychedelic-assisted therapy um, through a place in Boulder. And then I... Um, <clears throat> sorry, you'll cut that out, right? What? <laughs> cut it, you, 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 yeah, you, so no, I did ketamine cut, through this program. Do you want me to program. cut you Or do you want me to cut out what? <laughs> so that me clearing my throat. I want you to talk closer into the mic. Okay, I just push it. it up as loud as it can be, and okay. I want it to be like louder. Like lips Don't on be the a mic? I want it to be Donna. as loud as it can be. Okay. Because I don't want anyone to be like, I hear Dave, and I hear Dr. Bienenfeld. All right, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> now, what other psychedelics have you done? 
I've done a lot of psychedelics. So I've done, L I started doing LSD when I was young. Um, psilocybin, DMT, ayahuasca. What else? Uh, I mean, Ibogaine? I have not done that yet, but I actually, so I, interestingly, I, I left Mountainside Sober Living to drive directly to DopeyCon, which was really awesome. You weren't, you weren't like staying there. Though. I was not staying there. I was visiting my ex-boyfriend. Okay. That's a whole other story. But um, so I came there directly from that experience. I've never been in rehab myself. But uh, So you went from Burning Man yeah. to Mountainside to DopeyCon. That's Did right. you take anything fun at Burning Man? Um, so as a physician, I'm not legally allowed to take any medicines. What like about that. drugs? <laughs> I'm not allowed to take any drugs. That's either. not a, that's not a that's not a definitive answer. We were going down a path, and now I'm like derailed in my in my head on the path. Uh, when I've taken ketamine, I took ketamine only one time voluntarily, and I was in my early 20s. I was like. I don't, somebody invited me to a strip club, I think. Oh, they wanted to give me... It was a weird, shady business practice in the 90s. And they, I, I had a TV show, and they wanted to give me money. They had a, a device that was a sticker that you put onto a cell phone, and there was those old cell phones, to increase antenna power. Uh -huh. And it was like, it was a real... I vaguely remember that. It was thing. a real bullshit device. And the guy, <laughs> then he put a bunch of ketamine on his hand and said, do you want to try this? And I, and I sniffed the big line of ketamine, and, I, and it was in the back of a limo, and I fell out of the limo, like, onto the pavement. And then I just kind of hung out with a bunch of strippers, and I don't remember the night very well. Um, and then after that, and I don't, but it certainly didn't feel, it didn't feel like a classic psychedelic, like mm -hmm. psilocybin or LSD or ibogaine or whatever. I never took ayahuasca, but I took ibogaine. Mm -hmm. Um but then I had a heroin dealer who somehow had his heroin replaced with ketamine. And I was shooting ketamine for like a week, think, you know, pretending that I, it was heroin. And I really liked it. And in a classic dopey story that I've probably told a hundred times, I would sleepwalk on the ketamine, like hardcore. And one night I woke up in my underwear outside of my apartment, waking up because I was closing the door locked out mm -hmm. in the middle of the night on ketamine in my underwear. So that was my, and I loved it. <laughs> you know, that's that, the, 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 the irony is that I really enjoyed that. Now, let's get back to the psychedelic disassociative thing and how does it help with depression and how does it help anybody at all besides yeah, so feeling right, good? Right, how do you go from, you know, being locked out of your door, shooting ketamine, you know, recklessly to this is a medicine that helps people? Right. right. How do we make that jump? Yeah. Well, no, sure. no, no. How, I mean, like, I, you make that jump because I'm, I'm a drug addict, yeah. and because I don't think I would have ever. I only spent money on heroin and benzos and weed, and and I don't think I think my money was budgeted, so I wasn't gonna start buying another yeah, thing. Yeah, ketamine wasn't. It didn't make the list. It wasn't yeah. on, but it, maybe it should have been. But um, I don't want to. I, I want to find a sweet spot where we understand. Because we talk about it all the time. Yep, what's going how on? How ketamine can help people. And and first of all, I want to know how we discovered that it can help people. Right. So this all kind of started around the year 2000, probably a little bit before that. But people were noticing that um, patients on ketamine, their depression was getting better. And there was a study that came out in the year 2000. This is kind of like the seminal study, right? And it was like seven patients, right? And they gave them 
Someone said, this is working. We got to take a look well, at it. Well, who decided yeah. in the first place that we want to try this? Um, the doctor's name was Berman. The Berman study. No relation to Lerman. Berman. Ler- Definitely yeah, to not. Berman just, with no. It just rhymes. Right. And, and decided to try this. And so the interesting, interesting thing about studying ketamine is it's very hard to find a control group. Because you kind of know if you're getting saline versus ketamine, right? Or, or you if you're getting ketamine, right? But they did these studies... And they looked at these patients and like they got better and their depression got better quickly. And that kind of launched a whole cascade of additional study over the, over the years. And around the mid-2000s, the literature started really popping with studies about how ketamine can really help patients with depression and trauma. And psychiatrists and, and the mental health community started really taking a look at this. Like, I mean, I remember sitting in my office reading these studies. They'd pop up on my medical feed. I'm like, wow, ketamine, depression, trauma. Like, I didn't see that one coming. What's your background? My background is uh, I'm a psychiatrist. I'm an addiction psychiatrist. I started my career working in the prison system. I used to work at Sing Sing, running a unit of like the, the sickest, you know, most high risk inmates with mental illness, severe, getting out of prison, right? And they all, so many of them come right back to prison. So we were working on ways to get them to stay in the community. And, it, you know, what do you think is the number one thing that drives people back to prison, right, with mental illness? It's substance abuse, right? They relapse. And then they don't get treatment. They don't get funneled into the treatment world. They get funneled back into prison. So that got me big into the idea of reentry and helping people stay clean and sober. And then I got awesome. certified in addiction. That's how I met Joe, you know, back in the day, Joe Trank, uh, who ultimately taught me probably more about addiction than, you know, any textbook did. But that's a Which whole, that, that, that's an, another episode. But I think it's amazing because you're looking for something that can help people. Yes. You know, I mean, so many people are like, and I don't want to say people are anti-abstinence, uh, but people are resistant to as- abstinence because the numbers are not good, right? Because people people seem to not be able to do it. Is that is that why like there's so much like so many people are like, well, we don't want to talk about abstinence as much because it doesn't seem to work as well. That's yeah. what I hear all the time. It, yeah, it's it's definitely you know the harm reduction angle, all of that. Look, the fact of the matter is, um, I've been treating people with addiction over 20 years. And, you know, it's a, it's a hard thing to treat. It's a hard thing to treat long term. You know, it's, a, it's, it's one thing to be in rehab for 30, 60, 90 days, whatever, and they have you in a jar and people get better. But, you know, the reality is when people get out back into the world, right, especially young people, teenagers, things like that, and they go back into the environment, as we all know, and then all the triggers happen and it's really hard. But where ketamine comes in is what we've done a really not so good job of, especially in psychiatry, is identifying, okay, there's addiction and all these issues related to addiction, but what are the underlying psychiatric, what are the underpinnings of this? And what are, what, what are they? They're depression, severe anxiety, trauma is a huge one, especially now who isn't traumatized these days. Well, the word trauma seems to be almost a loaded word. It's totally loaded. Yeah, it's, 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 it's it a means a like hundred different like things. It's like was like 10 years ago. Yeah, it means a hundred different things. But, you know, but addiction is a loaded word, too, because right. just look, you know. Recovery 30, is a loaded word. Look, it's, 30, all, it's all loaded. Yeah, 30 years ago, if you were diagnosed with ovarian cancer, you had ovarian cancer. And it's right. like, okay, this is what you have. Go treat it. Now, that means 20 different things, depending on the stage of it and what it's receptive to. And I think addiction is the same thing. There's no way... That somebody who is just addicted to alcohol is the same exact kind of a patient as somebody addicted to meth. It's a different thing. Not even that. Like if you read the big book, it 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 defines an alcoholic as different from a heavy drinker, as different from a problem drinker. Absolutely. You know, and it's like 
you know, the bottom line is addiction fucks people up. Addiction creates misery. Addiction creates poverty, crime, unhappy people, misery. And it works the other way around. The, the arrow is bi-directional, right? All of those things you just mentioned drive addiction. Right. And then, but then the other arrow is, is, is bi-directional also, which is when you find anything that can help, the cascade of goodness is like off the charts. Can be. So Absolutely. Ha- what other shit are they experimenting on depressed people with besides ketamine? <laughs> good, good question. There was a recent article that just came out that showed a, that a blood pressure medication can help alcoholics. <laughs> it's, a, it's a diuretic. It's so, you know, they're looking for a lot of different things. Ket- the benefit of ketamine is that not only does it, has it been shown to help people with depression and trauma, but it can work quickly. It can re- actually reduce suicidal thinking on its own as its own symptom. Very quickly. Very like in quickly. a matter of hours for some people. Not everybody. I'm just going to put the disclaimer out there. It doesn't, it's not like, oh, I get ketamine, you're better. In a minute. It's, it's, but compared to everything else, things in psychiatry take a long time. But the question is this, yes. right? If I'm suicidal or I'm unhappy and I get to eat uh, MDMA, like I'm going to feel better. Right. I'm going to not want to kill myself. I'm going to feel probably pretty great. What about after the ketamine wears off? Well, that's the issue that we that we talk about called durability. How long does it last? That's being studied again, different for different people, different depending how many sessions you do. Right. But ketamine is really interesting because what what it does in the laboratory is it actually has been proven to regrow neurons in your brain, regrow neurons in your brain that have been damaged through depression and trauma right? Because this happens in the frontal part of the brain. They shrivel up, right? You picture these nerve cells connected together. Um, So ketamine repairs that, and then it promotes novel growth as well. And it does it quickly. Conventional antidepressants can do it too. What's novel growth? So that means that uh, it it actually, it stimulates this chemical in your brain called brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is basically... Sounds good. Also sounds very Yeah, well, (laughs) it is. This one, and it basically stimulates the brain to, to produce... Um, neurons, um, you know, out of the blue that weren't there before, right, in different parts of the brain. And ketamine, interestingly, you know, we're going through this kind of, you know, boring science, but it's been shown in research studies that it does affect parts of the brain that are affected by drugs of abuse, right? It does stimulate it, but it, it puts the brakes on dopamine. So it is not shown Can to be... Can you explain that a little when bit more? When you take a drug that's reinforcing an addictive, part of what happens is it stimulates these deep areas of your brain, right? The parts that you, you, you can't access, right? You're not aware of them, right? Like the frontal part of your brain is what we're using to think. But the deeper parts of the brain kind of drive behavior. And, and drugs of abuse stimulate that. Dopamines gets fired off like crazy. And then it creates this cascade of dopamine response that keeps going and going unchecked. Ketamine seems to put the brakes on that extra dopamine response in the brain. That's interesting. It's also interesting that as doctors, you guys see, like, what do you see in terms of how neurons firing, dope, how dopamine affects the brain? Like, where do you see it? How do you see it? How do they graph it out? How do they show imaging? And, like, what are you learning? Like, I don't know anything about my brain except that, like, I need help. Yep. You know, I need, like, a, a neurotropic rebuilding fucking thing because I'm not... I was really smart when I was a kid, and it's, like, it's gone, and I would like to get some regenerative neurotropic help. But also, like, as somebody who sees imaging, does it change the way you guys live? It Does it change how we live? Yes. Like, are you, like, when you're, like, having a conversation, are you, like... 
I feel something firing here on you know, like do you know what's <laughs> no. happening in By your the brain? time the dopamine's been firing, it's been firing for before you way before you even realize it, which is the whole thing about triggers. Like an alcoholic walks into a bar and says, you know, I'm good, I'm not gonna have a drink. But if you hook them up to a functional MRI machine that shows the dopamine action, that thing would be lighting up like a Christmas tree and they'd be unaware of it until they are aware of it, which is, oh, I want to have a drink. Okay, for example, though, okay, I came in here and I wasn't going to, I was going to get a cup of coffee, but I didn't get a cup of coffee. And, and, yeah, and you declined it at first. Well, you said, we do I want before. anything to eat? And I was like, I'll That's just true. get a oh, coffee. I, th- I meant yeah. all of the things. I was like, I'll get coffee on the way. And, and I like, I'm from this neighborhood, but for some reason I went the wrong way. I went uptown instead of downtown. And I and the Starbucks had a line, and I was like, "Oh well, I won't get." I had a, I had like five cups of coffee already. I was like, "I don't need another cup of coffee." But mm-hmm. Doctor Bienenfeld offered me a cup of coffee, and I have to say, it's like the fucking best coffee I've had in so long. And I was like, "I feel really good." Is that dopamine, or is that caffeine, or what is happening? Well, to my technically, brain? caffeine is an adenosine receptor blocker, so that's what's happening in your brain. But it is probably connected. What is to adenosine? Adenosine. It's another neurotransmitter in the brain that nobody really ever talks about, except with caffeine. It's but, great, right? Yeah, I this mean, coffee you know, is fantastic. Try, try stopping coffee. It, it won't feel so great. I did that. You know? So what yeah. are you drinking? I drink decaf. Why? Um, after I went to... So before you do ayahuasca, you do a dieta for varying periods of time. Everyone tells you something different. but um, Dieta? Yeah, where it's basically a very specific diet where you don't eat processed food, alcohol. Um, it's also not just about the things you consume. You're not allowed to masturbate. You're not allowed to have sex. How long? Um, I did that for a month before ayahuasca, um, the first time I did it. Did Dr. Mate take you on your ayahuasca journey? I met him. He actually dissed the place that I do ayahuasca at. So Where do you go? Is it in Peru? Florida? Um, No, I go to Costa Rica uh, to Rhythmia. How often do you go? Um, I've been to Rhythmia twice, and then I, yeah. So no masturbation, no caffeine, no sex. What else can't you do? beforehand um they tell you not to watch the news but i'm good at that anyway so since then no caffeine are you preparing for a big ayahuasca no caffeine since then i don't do that also you can't yeah right no masturbation i was gonna say you can't watch watch porn but that goes with masturbation could you watch porn if you didn't masturbate like would i enjoy doing that or i'm just saying (laughs) would an ayahuasca shaman or administrator mind if you're just like up into porn but you weren't masturbating like walking into the bar but i think it's probably you frowned upon yes i don't the functional mri would light up anyway but i think it's interesting that you said no masturbation i think twice maybe even three (laughs) times and no sex and then you had to add also you can't watch porn after that that's, Are you calling me out on I'm fucking saying, former addiction or what? I just think it's fa- it's fascinating. That's all. No, yeah. I want to get into this thing because I was at a meeting the other morning and we were talking about, uh, I was talking about like, or there was somebody there in the meeting. And, and like, I find that people sometimes, I mean, they're a little braggy and they, they, they kind of put out this feeling like they've worked the steps or they've done X, Y, and Z and now they're better. And... I know that's not true. I know on a daily basis I'm not better. Like I have to do a bunch of shit to feel on top of my game. I have to feel like it requires maintenance. It requires work. It requires new things. So like when you're talking about how well ketamine works, like do you have to take it? What goes along with it? How does it work? That's a great question. 
And, and can this I is say when of, you tell me it's a great question, that the thing is firing in my brain? Yeah, no, it is really this, because this is the question, right? And this is also what's being studied. You know, I've been using ketamine with patients since about 2016, intravenously, intramuscularly, um, sublingually, all of that stuff. And you know, back then there were no training courses in this, right? <laughs> it was kind of, you know, figure it out. And it was scary because, um, you know, a lot of my patients were, were substance abusers, were drug addicts, right, with, with major underlying psychiatric issues, and nothing else was working, right? Okay, so we treated them with ketamine, and like, oh my God, is this gonna make them 100 times worse, right? And then uh, most of them really got better, right? Even ones that had abused ketamine, which is a whole other story. But um, part of getting better is the immediate response, but sustaining that, is the lifestyle response, right? And what ketamine can do better than really any other medication, maybe other than electric shock therapy that I've seen, is get people out of that ditch. And when you get out of the ditch, it's, it's the return to function, right? So a lot of times people who are taking ketamine that are very depressed, very stressed out, very traumatized, the other people notice they're doing better, right? Oh, they went for a run or, oh, you know, he cooked dinner for the first time in like eight months or went to the library, whatever the thing is, Right, and so maintaining the benefits of ketamine is maintaining a healthy lifestyle. Right, getting back into function, exercising, eating well—all the things that you know you read about that you hear. Right, but not just sitting in the dark room, you know, eating fast food. Right, but I think we're missing a major part of the whole experience. Is that the experience on the medicine is really important? Obviously, right. You're you go to different places in your mind. You're exploring different things, and then. What happens is, is that you need to integrate that experience with a therapist. Yes. So you, you, you can have these big psychedelic experiences and then walk out of there completely confused and fucked up and just you don't, you don't know what just happened to you. Um, but you're supposed to take all that information over the course of your treatment. We, we usually do six treatments of ketamine for people um, with varying mental health issues. And then you're supposed to meet with your therapist regularly. And it's, I mean, there's a whole field of psychedelic integration therapy that is, you know, and that's what you're supposed to do when you leave Iboga, when you leave ayahuasca, when you're doing some underground DMT stuff, a big psilocybin journey. I mean, yeah. because otherwise, if you don't integrate it, you're just stuck. You got to put it all together. What are you getting out of it? Right, it's right. Like, it's I, just as important as the medicine session itself, honestly. But then it's like, how competent are these people? Like, well, the the thing is, is that integration is not interpretation, right? So it it is still you. So I think, like, I just want to backtrack a little bit. I know we're all all like hopped up on the science and the neurotransmitters and all the shit. But like, if you just scale back a little bit and actually think about what it is we're really doing in psychedelic medicine, that's totally different than what this fucking society has done all along. Is so conventional Western medicine just covers up your shit. Right. Yeah, you can go to talk therapy, but it's like you, you get to this area where you're just not getting underneath the rug. And psychedelics really, and I'm sure you've had your fair share of psychedelic experiences. I know you just said you did Iboga, but, you know, psychedelics go in and they shine a light on your darkest shit. Right. And they show you what it is that you need to work on. And they show you oftentimes how it is you got to the place that you got to. So to us, that's the reason to incorporate psychedelics really honestly i think unless you have a medical contraindication to psychedelic therapy i think that everybody needs it a medical what contraindication a reason to not uh counterindication contra contraindication right so a reason to not do psychedelics you have a heart problem you can't do it because it's dangerous there's there's certain medical problems that 
will um, render you incapable of taking a medicine safely. So, but the the concept is is you want to get it, you want to say something. Am I fucking talking too much? No, I'll say if I need to say something, I'll <laughs> say something. I, I tend to interrupt people too much. So I want okay. you to keep talking. Okay. So what I wanted to say is I think we're just missing the concept of the inner healer. Okay. The inner your inner healing intelligence. Which if you I was trained in New York City. I grew up here. I was a type A, total huge bitch. If you didn't see things the way I, I could saw totally them, see that. I had no fucking time for you. Um, and I just was a control freak. And I went to an ayahuasca ceremony and I let that shit go. I showed up in an ayahuasca when retreat. Wait, when, when, when was that? So I was a COVID doctor, a frontline COVID person. And I, I was burned out before I got to... Um, my ayahuasca retreat. So, so I was definitely burned out before that, but I was burned out before coronavirus happened. So it was recent you did your first ayahuasca. Yeah, it was uh, over a year ago. Okay. Yeah, so in the middle so of the pandemic, that, I went that, there. that, you would, you'd fucked around with LSD and, and Yeah, mushrooms, all the things. But it wasn't, like, what I was thinking when I put the mic down mm -hmm. was, like, I've taken a ton of psychedelics, I mean, but I've never had any sort of supervision except for like my idiot friends mm -hmm. you know not even close well that's how we all did it right <laughs> and know? i mean and when i took ibogaine it was like i had no supervision at all like i had right. some weird company in the netherlands send me ibogaine for free oh. on, on the idea that i was going to pay them back which i didn't and like i did it in my house i had one of my friends show up who was actually at dopeycon and uh just to make sure i didn't like whatever jump out the window that's really fucked doing up because i began i honestly i mean you really need cardiac clearance before you do it it's a medicine that really can it was can insanity and i and i had like a crazy weird vision situation like where it was like really serious visions that i had that in the end i i had told this story on dopey a hundred times but basically i took a bunch of ibogaine and i and i they i had a, a loft bed so they told me not to stay in the loft bed so i put my mattress on the floor and i drank the ibogaine and i um i had an electric piano in my house and i put my leg against the uh the leg of the electric piano but then i started spinning and i only knew that i wasn't actually spinning because i felt my foot against the piano stand mm -hmm. and i wound up in a desert you know you know, I presumed it was in Egypt and there were pyramids and some guy came to see me, a blue guy with a triangle on his head. Mm -hmm. And I decided, and he had like a mustache, kind of like Freddie Mercury, and I kind of decided that he was a loser and I didn't want to hear what he had to say. Mm -hmm. But I hung out for like the night with him mm -hmm. and then the next morning I got dope. I was like, I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But I don't think it was a strong enough dose. There was obviously zero, you yeah. know, uh, whatever you want to call it. What do you call it? I mean, supervision, no supervision. therapy, it was integration. Was it was no, a mess. Yeah. And, like, and I've gotten a lot out of the trips I went on when I was a kid, but not like what you're talking about. So explain what supervision does, please. So, and then we'll get to the ketamine aspect. Yeah, so, I mean, when someone, when there is someone holding, we call it holding space. So we don't use the word guiding, guided sessions, anything like that, because the idea is that in a psychedelic space, the client's own inner healing intelligence takes over and is and leads the journey, right? So you don't, as a as someone who's sitting there holding space for someone, you actually should just shut the fuck up. That's the that's the reality of the situation. Stop talking. There's this weight, the weight principle. It's why am I talking? 
Um, is that the person on the psychedelic no, or the supervisor? The person on the psychedelic can do whatever it... Well, there are rules, but the, can really just say whatever they want. Like no burning down the office. You can't hurt anybody. No sexual interaction. Can you smoke cigarettes? No, you, can you masturbate me. to porn while you're Well, that's a good th- that's a good question because some people in psychedelic spaces have erotic feelings. Sure. And they can start doing that. And as a as someone who's sitting there holding space for someone who goes to do that, I mean, you have to be these people are in such vulnerable states that mm-hmm. if you shame someone in a psychedelic journey, you could really fuck them up. Right. So you have to understand how to talk to that person and and, you know, kind of invite them to do something else in a very specific way. Have you ever been the holding space person? All the time. That's what I do. So that's what you do yeah. in this ketamine business? That's what I do. And I just did it at Burning Man for a Zendo project. What's Zendo project? Zendo project is a nonprofit organization through MAPS um, that... What's MAPS? MAPS is a, is a, is, was Rick Doblin's brainchild, basically, that is working towards legalization of medicines and, you know... What does it stand for, though? Multidisciplinary uh, Association for Psychedelic Studies. That's right. I find this stuff amazing, but it also scares the shit out of me. Like, I have to be honest. I feel like, first thing I feel is I'm missing out. Like, I'm missing out on, on psychedelic medicine. I'm missing out on psychedelic journeys. I'm missing out on fun. Like, this is what I'm hearing. Like, well, that's my first reaction. Everyone's miss- everyone is missing out because the problem is, and what Scott said earlier, is that these medicines were mislabeled as drugs. In 68, you lost LSD. In 70, you lost psilocybin. 85, you lost MDMA. And that's because some schmuck in the government decided that that is not a medicine, that's a drug. I mean, can you really imagine if this is literally just a mislabeling error? Like, well, what, what, that's so why traumatic. Think, like, I have a friend who believes certain that there's reasons for this and there's a whole hippie universe that believes that it's because the government was sure that psychedelics would cause people to they overthrow cause, them. They cause you to, they cause you to, I mean, why you know. do you think it was, it was relabeled is the question. Personally, why do you think? I think that it was relabeled because they were afraid of it. Sure. Fear. A hundred percent. But well, it's scary. afraid of it and afraid of a lot of the people that were doing it. I think that psychedelics, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you know, this legal weed in Manhattan, it's, it's a little bit, it's weird. You know, it doesn't feel like anything else, but in the end, it's just a bunch of people getting high, you know, smoking pot, buying pot, whatever. It's not that big a deal. It smells a little bit more. But like, they're also not going to Sing Sing for 10 years for I, selling I'm weed, not Listen, right? I'm like, not saying it's good or it's bad or right. whatever. I'm just saying it's not, it's not as intense as I thought it was going to be. And with psychedelics, like, people were afraid of psychedelics disrupting capitalism, psychedelics disrupting the U.S. government, disrupting control. Would you guys imagine that that's a healthy fear? Like, how do you think the way the United States runs, if everybody was... or if How does it run now? It's not great, but what I'm saying <laughs> it's is... It's fucking great, isn't I mean, it? Come on. But what Just I, put what, everybody in jail. What I mean is, I don't mean it like that. I mean, like, psychedelics offer... A, a, a really utopian landscape of, of getting better. Like, that's the best side of psychedelics. Mm-hmm. And, and the fear is that it's going to f- disrupt and fuck up what they've built. Is there a way that it goes together, or is it hopeful that it can fuck up the draconian kind of shit that's it happening? It needs to be disrupted. Right. The whole, the foundation of the entire society, right? That's what has to happen. But you can't do that overnight. 
So I think what's happening is supposed to happen. I mean, this whole, how it's this long, drawn-out process because they just fucked us over so hard and we have to just slowly get back to something. Otherwise, you're going to have a really big problem. Well, let's get back to the, the, the purpose of this whole thing. So, because I, I like talking about all that stuff, but I also like, you know, as an addict in recovery, I'm not going to be taking psychedelics because I can't risk what I've reclaimed in my life. As much as I would like to one day... You know, never say never. I didn't say never. Well, I Good. think this is an interesting thing that you're saying because this did is this never? is part of the problem, right? What did because I, say? I think you said I'm never going to take. I'm I'm choosing not <laughs> to take psychedelics <laughs> yes. on a daily basis. Well, because because well, you basis. because because they've been mislabeled and now and no, you think they're drugs. No, 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 no. I don't I don't take them because I don't want to because if I take uh, mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Or if I take acid, or if I take MDMA, mm-hmm. the first thought in my head is I want to smoke cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Like, and then the second thought in my head is I definitely want to smoke bud, and mm-hmm. I don't want to put myself in that situation. Well, what if you were in a, a therapist's office where there's no weed and cigarettes, and you're lying in a bed with an eye mask on, with a therapist at your what can bedside. I do, what can I listen to? Can I listen to anything I want? No. I can't listen to in no, a so silent the, way or the music. Dad or something. The music is a very important part of the what psychedelic are you playing? experience. Some weird Vedic chanting. We should play it now. What are you? What are you playing? <laughs> Can we play it. What, what are you playing? We play music. I mean, how We've do you even describe playlists. it? We well, have, part of it is you know when I started doing this, I thought bring the music that you like. Who curates the music? Right. Well, the idea is that it's music uh, that you haven't heard before. This doesn't sound good. Yeah. You, it's fucking great. What are you playing? Uh, Stuff you haven't heard. Just tell me. It's stuff you haven't heard. Is you it definitely Ayurvedic chanting? It's, it's some a mix. Ra- it's some Ram Das. It's some. It's it's not a lot of chanting. Well, Doctor, I really would Dr. love to Lerman, play it. We can we can play it. But we can't play it right now. Okay. But Doctor Lerman, mm-hmm. you're deciding what I can listen to. Hundred percent. Why? Because it's a very specific type of music, and it's supposed to be music that is that you haven't heard before. Okay. Have you ever heard Miles Davis in a silent way? Probably. Well, I you should listen to it and put it on the put it on the menu because that's the greatest psychedelic record ever made. It, you know, it's the important thing is that is that the music should be something that you're not attached to. Music has right, one I'm of the most powerful, to, yeah. right? Yeah, for better or for worse, it should be something new. I think I've heard Dr. Lerman's feelings. No, that's <laughs> hard to do. Okay, um, <laughs> where were we talking about? Oh, oh, why I'm not taking psychedelics? I, I just uh, the real reason why I'm not taking psychedelics is because I. You know, I fucked up my life so badly, and my, my life is so much better. I don't want to do anything that can make it any kind of worse. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to like. Do so you think it's too risky? Yes, for me. Yeah, I'm but not, also taking psychedelics is different than being treated with psychedelics. I well, I'm right? not. Uh, luckily, yeah. I'm not depressed. Uh-huh. Like, right, not too bad at least. I mean, here and there, I don't feel great. But I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm anxious all the time. But that's kind of my makeup. It's the stigma. It's that's part of the problem, right? Do you think that's the stigma? Mm-hmm. But don't you think? And this is this is down a really scary rabbit hole. It's like people who are abstinent, who were heroin addicts, who could not take care of their families, could not take care of themselves, could not be happy or thrive. You have, I believe, right, that one of them, like maybe a lot of them do this and their lives go great. I believe one of them at least is like, okay, I can relapse. You know what I mean? Like sure. it plants a seed. Whereas my garden is fucking tended. Like I don't want any fucking shit in there that can do anything that can. It's too scary. I right. But you. like yeah. if you were plagued by 
you know, PTSD. Whoa. I got so scared. My fucking chair (laughs) broke. If you were constantly plagued by severe depression, panic attacks or intractable. um, What's intractable? Like you can't get rid of them or, you know, post-traumatic. No, let's talk about me. No, I am. I'm saying, but if that was happening to you, you might look to something like this to to try to alleviate despite your underlying addiction. If I was suffering from crippling depression crippling anxiety. Yeah, you're Any, good. You're doing well. I know, but Dr. Lerman seems to think I could be doing better <laughs> with an eye mask and some Ramdas, correct? <laughs> I do think that everyone can benefit from that. But because what? I think there's shit probably. I, there's a lot you, of shit. Listen, when you, told me you did, shit. when you told me you did Iboga, I was I, really actually impressed. I right. was like, shit, he really like went, went the mile, did all the things. I did it. Right. But then you were unimpressed when you found out how I took it. Because it's very different. And yes. because I don't know what Iboga you took, or where you got it, what it was, what that quality was like. You, would, you did it completely alone and you likely had no integration afterwards. So that, I think you shortchanged yourself. Big time. Because you, yeah. But maybe it helped you. I mean, one of the big, hold on. One of the big things here is that, and yes, the integration is important and all that, but you, you, you had the medicine in your brain, right? Enough to see a blue person with a triangle and pyramids, right? Yes. So, so something happened. And that was before and I ever heard of anyone I, else's experience. I understand. Too. And so I just don't want people to mistake the idea of, oh, I, I tried the ketamine therapy or tried you know, ketamine treatment and, and I didn't like it or whatever with it didn't work, right? You don't know. I'm not saying, and I'm not saying the aboga didn't work, and I'm not saying that ketamine wouldn't work at all. I'm yeah. just saying in my situation, I mean, I, I even love the idea of taking iboga again with somebody or ayahuasca. I'd go with you. I can't do it. I can't do it. Why? I just told then you don't. why. Yeah, but because don't I don't want to risk my sobriety. Yeah. Oh, no, no. So you, I think you have the ro- totally wrong idea. People, so we use iboga for addiction. Like this is a medicine for addiction. Like, have I you, mean, okay, let's, that's let's, the number one reason why people go to this. We're medicine. talking differently, though. Let me, let me clear the table for a second. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of somebody who is a heroin addict, mm-hmm. who is abstinent for a period of time, who took ketamine, and this I know this blows up your spot a little bit. Not at all. Who took ketamine or psilocybin or MDMA or iboga mm-hmm. or ayahuasca, mm-hmm. and it triggered a relapse. I've never heard of that. I've never, never seen it directly. I've never heard possible? of that. Because these medicines are used to treat this. I'm not saying it can never happen, but what I'm saying is that, you know, it's such a, I think you're missing the, why did you do Iboga? I thought you. I was a heroin addict. I did it to just, stop doing heroin. Okay, they, so they, you did they, it for that reason. I went to a concert and they yeah. handed out pamphlets that Iboga can make you not be a heroin addict That's anymore. True. Did that I trigger mean, you, by the way? What? After that? You said you then you went to use dope afterwards. But do you think that triggered you or you just I don't think I had it? a chance. We don't know. Like, yeah. like I don't think I had a chance. I don't know. I, I didn't research. I saw they had clinics in, in Holland and Mexico. I didn't want to pay to go to either. And what I do know about heroin addiction is that withdrawal is is the biggest problem. And I, I don't know how Iboga deals with withdrawal. And the next day I wasn't sick sick, but I was uncomfortable and I didn't want to be. And I mean, I didn't get off of heroin for another 10 years or something. And I don't know what it did or it didn't do. I know I was completely unsupervised. I believe that I know for a fact that Iboga helps a lot of people. Um, I have a friend who's not a heroin addict who is mentally ill, who's, you know, clinically depressed, suicidal ideation up the ass. And he was in Costa Rica and he took Iboga and it, it I mean, I don't know. I don't think he got the medical integration. Do you guys give scholarships for this stuff, by the way? 
Because I have a friend who so needs we, fucking we help. So we do for uh, frontline healthcare workers, and you know we we can always make arrangements. Yeah, he's he's a he, he's a, a, a sports handicapper. I don't think that counts as a frontline worker. And he's like he's a fucking wreck. But he would be if you could help him, mm-hmm. it would be incredible. Like because he's great. He's super brilliant and funny, and like he has a world of uh, potential that is stymied by depression and misery mm-hmm. and not drug addiction. It's a huge cause of disability. Anyway, let's get... I, I'm yep. just saying, like, my number one fear for... And that's also my fear in terms of the show. Because our audience, like, my favorite thing about a lot of our audience is the heroin snobbery. And, like, so the, the, it's a bunch of addicts, and I don't want to give them something or, or promote something that can put them in harm's way in any way. And I, and I say that, like, and I'm being 100% honest with both of you, mm-hmm. I believe that what you're saying in terms of psychedelic intervention and uh, supervision can be incredible. And I believe that ketamine can help with depression. But my, my own fear is that somebody who's found abstinence or is on the fence will take a, sub, a substance a medicine. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't care if it's called a medicine or a drug. It doesn't make a well, difference. I mean, what if me. I said to you that I had this? Br- what if I just renamed psilocybin? Like that would be different to you. No, right? it if- would. No, no, it wouldn't. It's like I love psilocybin. I, I don't. I don't have prejudice. Like mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not approaching this with prejudice. I'm approaching it with fear. I'm approaching it with. But what caution. if the medical community came out with this new medicine called whatever you want to call it? And it was really psilocybin. I mean, that's a, it, it's a, it's a, it's a. I don't think you understand what I'm saying, Doctor Lerman. What I'm saying is because I'm abstinent, I don't want to take anything that's going to do. You don't want to knock you, the train what, off the tracks. I don't want to rock the boat. I, I hear you. I completely hear it that took me a because long it's time scary. To get it's here. scary, and I know, and I know it. But the reality is, is that well, like, what's the relapse rate? I have no idea. Why that's why it, I'm asking you. Okay, no. What is? Why doesn't anyone know this? Yeah, tell me why. I'm new in what, this in the addiction space. I'm new in the addiction space, right? And I. So you agree with me? That's a really good question. Like when someone who is uh, abstinent, sober from a drug like heroin or meth or coke or alcohol, Mm -hmm. and they have depression, I want to know how many people, when they get treated with ketamine, uh, iboga, fucking ayahuasca, whatever, what is the relapse rate? That's a great. How do we find that out? What do we do? I want to know what the relapse rate is when you don't do any of that stuff. Oh, it's very high. Exactly. It's off the charts. Nobody gets sober. Right. So Very at what few. point, how many relapses do you do until you, right? Like how many thousands of dollars do you spend in a detox, at a rehab, at an aftercare, all that shit, and you keep doing it again and doing it again and doing it again? Like at what point do you actually interject something that's different? And, it, and, the, and the something that's different is working on your deepest, darkest shit right. that no one has ever worked on with you. People that's, say, I mean, Dr. Monte came on Dopey and he said ayahuasca was like 100,000 hours of therapy in 10 minutes. It's, right? it's an unbelievable experience. It can break the cycle. And again, nothing's ever true for everybody. Don't right? you want to know, though? I want to know the other relapse rate. Like, because that would make me feel much safer in terms of bettering myself with psychedelic medicine. I would want to know a study on drug addicts in recovery who do these kinds of things and what happens to them. I want to know that. How yeah, do we find a, that yeah, out? It's a great, they, it needs to be looked at. It needs to be studied. You know, we just started a foundation, the Dopey Foundation. Maybe that could be... Do you think that's a waste of time to look into that? No. No, I don't. Not at I all. Doc, yes, you, I can, Dr. Lerman thinks No, but I think like if you... If she you, thinks I'm ruining this whole thing. No. Do you think I'm ruining your show, Dr. Lerman? No, I think it's fucking great. <laughs> okay. No, no, I think these are the things that need to be discussed. I mean, these are the things... 
that need to be talked about because look, there's a difference between somebody like you. You found you found like you know your level, your even space, right? I have you, some you, level. Some of, version I'm not, I'm not of so it, right? Okay. And, crazy. and there's a million different versions of where people are. And and listen, one of the things I've learned in addiction medicine over the couple of decades I've been doing it is like you can never take your eye off the ball, right? Like. I, because when you do, it's amazing, and people relapse 10, 15 years, and boom, people die. I mean, this is a fatal that illness. That is exactly right. my point. And, but that works in two ways, right? So on one hand, I think that these medicines really have the potential to lower that risk, right, for, for a lot of people, right? The, the fear is understandable, right? I think that it makes a lot of sense, obviously, in the culture and everything else. Um, but And then you have people that are, you know, addiction is a death sentence, no matter what, right? So I think this is this is between a person and their clinicians, and it's a very you know Individual, important yeah. individualized case by case. Um, everybody, you know, you know, one person with addiction has post traumatic stress. They were, you know, they've seen combat or they've had sexual assault or whatever it is. Other people have had just crippling depression or whatever. There's a million combinations. Yeah, right? a trauma is on a sliding scale. It totally. You know, my you know, controlling mother, like, look at me. My father, he right. seems good, but come on, how good could he really be? <laughs> Adorable. Um, listen, uh, I really, really, and I don't want to be a naysayer because I really believe that that this can help people. And I, and all I want, I mean, all I want is Dopey to be a bigger podcast. That's all I really want. But then what I also want is for is for unhappy people to be happy. I want I want the world to be more joyful, and I've gotten so much out of psychedelics. Like you can say, I, when you said, you know, you saw the blue Freddie Mercury guy, and nothing happened, but shit happens. Of you course. know what I mean? All of the trips that I took, you know, I haven't taken a psychedelic since I, last psychedelic I took was DMT, and it was the only time I got to take DMT, and I was so excited to take it because I had read about it for so long and it had never fallen in my in my lap, and I took it and. It was it was not like a profound psychedelic experience like the like the psychedelic experiences I've had on LSD and psilocybin, psilocybin, whatever. But I was so happy to take it and it it triggered something in my head. Like I see the world in a very psychedelic way. I live my life in a very psychedelically kind of enhanced way. And I love it. And I love but I also love being sober, mm -hmm. but I really love that there are options and that there's a chance for someone to experience something and have something better come out of it. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's very, very well put. And look, Michael Pollan talks about this in his books, and, and they've done studies on this, that people who have had psychedelic experiences are different than people that haven't in terms of how they just see the world, see the universe, right? Like you said, you live in a psychedelic way, but even if you change it a little bit, it, it, it makes a difference. Can I ask you something, Dave? Why do you think people relapse? Because they stop doing the work. You know, I think the number one reason, or they don't do the work at all, mm -hmm. you know, relapse is, for me, I, I've said it in a few different ways, like in the past, I don't know that I ever was sober because I was always wanting to use. So like, I, I think every time I wound up using after that, it was like, that was my natural state. Mm -hmm. And the intermittent places where I was abstinent was me just holding on by the edges of my fingernails. Whereas now... Like, I have fun, and I, I, I don't... I mean, the only drug... I mean, this conversation has kind of fucked me up a little bit. I kind of want to take psychedelics. But the only drug that I really want to take on a really day-to-day, -day, and it's not even a drug, is fucking tobacco. Like, I would love to smoke cigarettes. Um, I don't want to smoke oh, cigarettes. Oh, it's a drug. 
But when I see someone smoking, like I go up to them so I can smell it, so I can be near it. Weed, like I love, I miss weed, but I'm not looking, I'm looking to do all these drugs when I'm, medicine, substances, what do we want to call them, Doctor? Medicine. Is tobacco a medicine too? Uh, it can be. In the in the in the healing uh, I mean, medicine people, man tradition, I'm, no. So hop-ay. smoke them the you know peace hop, pipe. Hoppe. I don't know anything. What's so hoppe? You snort it. It's tobacco that you snort. No way. Yeah. What does it look like? And they use it a lot in before ayahuasca. Ceremonies. Have you snorted hoppe? Mm-hmm. Have you, Doctor? I've Be- not snorted hoppe yet. No. Are you ta- are you on this crazy? Because this woman's out there. Are you out there with her? <laughs> No comment. Are you Ram <laughs> Dossing it up with the island? You know, mask? I love Ram. I I saw him speak on Martha's Vineyard. In the vineyard, he was the best. Did you did yeah. you snort the hoppe on that time? He wasn't offering it. No hoppe, and 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 you can't comment on your own psychedelic history. Um, because Doctor Lerman is, is wa- waving her freak flag it. out there. <laughs> Well, it, it's all it all predates my my medical journey. So I mean, look, I, I except I always ayahuasca. felt like you know I I got I really thought that psilocybin. I couldn't believe when I was in medical school and taking mushrooms, you know, at high doses, I could not believe psychiatry was not studying this. Right. They had these kind of, you know, theories about schizophrenia and psycho. I'm like, wait a minute, who why aren't people not looking at this? You know, so this has been amazing, right? I mean, this has been I think it was before medical school. Yeah. <laughs> why do you why do you wink when you say yeah. that? Yeah. Because you're not like Well, I was on I wasn't in medical, so I was, you know, in New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> I what I'm really interested in also is um, every time I've ever taken a, a psychedelic substance, it's so sloppy and it seems so random and it seems so powerful that I don't know how you could open up the hood and see what's happening. Like even talking about it, I feel that crazy psychedelic well, th- shit in me right now. It's it's so important to, when you go into a psychedelic journey. It is so important to, you have to prepare yourself. And, and then you have to be in. in I don't think I've ever. I don't. I'm just smiling. I just don't think I've ever done it right. No. I've done it well, so nobody many times. It's, it's right. Doctor really, Lerman does it right. It it's seems a very like. important thing. I mean, ceremony around it. Like we don't do any of that shit here. We do nothing. We don't. We don't honor the medicine. We don't talk about where it came from. None of that. We just fucking do it, and we're high, and we're covering up all of our shit. I mean, the the way to do it is to learn about what you're doing prepare for what you're doing a dieta or whatever the fuck it is set your intentions for your your ceremony have someone who's there with you who knows what the fuck they're doing and then you integrate the shit it's just it's not like that. imagine after your doctor iboga. have you ever taken a dieta dr Bina? <laughs> i don't has he have you done it <laughs> taken a dieta have you done the dieta <laughs> i've not done the dieta it's but wait, you need quite, to bring him out to Burning Man. But wait, I'm I have sure, a, trust me, I'm trying. <laughs> I have a question for you, though. Please imagine, imagine questions. when you took the aboga, yeah, right? Uh-huh. And you had an integration session, and in that moment, oh, you yeah. actually had somebody to interpret the blue man with the pyramids and actually go there, pleasant or unpleasant, to kind of look under that hood. I know. Listen, even I, the I, day after, but also even in your even now. in your session when you saw that man, like. You know what a, a person who would be sitting with you, you would tell them, oh, "I see this," and then they would say, "Talk to him," right. or invite you to, you know, interact with this being instead of saying you're a fucking loser. Right? Know, there was some work in there for you because why was he a loser? I know, right? The mustache in my head, but this, I know this that happened, I missed out. This happened with the patient that we were treating with sublingual ketamine with a therapist and did not was not liking one of the one of the songs on the playlist. What was it? The, I don't remember the name of the song, but the lyrics had to do with with love ending and, and independent and, and things that were, were, were 
channeling into the problem he was having dealing with his wife and whether he wanted to stay married and all that stuff. And when I talked to him about it, he said, you know, I, I just, I liked it, except then when this song came on, I really didn't like that. Mm. And, and, but I asked him about it, right? And I said, well, well, what did that bring up? So he started talking about it, and then he kind of turned around and said, you know, maybe that's what I really needed to look at, right? Instead, and, because especially for people with addiction, people with addiction want to make every bad feeling go away or mm -hmm. feel better, right? Yeah. And this is part of, I think, maybe what's going on with, with your reaction to the psychedelics and everything at this point is like, um, it can be tough to take a look at like what isn't going well, but that's what we need to fix. That's Ex the whole explain point. Explain that more, please. Well, I think you know there's this idea in psychiatry. You know, there's there's the denial, right? And there's resistance. Denial is just not letting yourself think about bad things or painful things, and resistance is not wanting to talk about them or deal with them. And you know, psychedelics in a lot of ways kind of cuts through that, as Dr. Lehrman said. When I first started treating patients with ketamine using uh, IV they would get into things about their trauma on their own that I didn't even know they had and in a safe way, right? Being able to really like get into ideas of acceptance and forgiveness and being able to look at really painful, difficult things in a way that was a lot, that was actually accessible and safe. That like I said, I didn't, I didn't even know that they had it, that it was going on until they were taking the ketamine. And they might not have known that they had yeah, it. Yeah, they might not have known or that it was even mm -hmm. affecting them in that way. I mean, it's unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. I was thinking, where is this coming from? And then they would kind of come out and be like, wow, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I kind of, I've come to this place of understanding this and accepting it. Part of, now this gets back into what ketamine is a dissociative anesthetic, right? So what it actually does, and they've shown this on brain imaging, is it kind of separates the thinking part of the brain from the feeling part of the brain. Right. What happens when we start to try to deal with trauma is we get overwhelmed, right? And, and the fight or flight kicks in. Ketamine sort of separates that so the traumatic experience can kind of be looked at without getting your brain getting completely flooded with neurotransmitters and everything making you feel like you're in panic and you can't deal with it. And I, so, yeah. I think it's really interesting and I... Um it's interesting because my reaction is like, it's like, it's like fear, but it's also like, I really want to do it. And then it's also like, I really want to be better. You know, I mean, that's like what I want more than anything is to, is to, and I, and I, you know, I do everything that I can think of doing, but I know that I'm not really going under the hood. You know what I okay. mean? Like, like I'm doing, like I was, I stopped, shouldn't even say this because one of our sponsors is, uh, is, is better help online therapy. Mm -hmm. And I found that I got, I stopped doing therapy because I was trying to figure out what I had to talk to the therapist about. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, that's people plateau. And so when you plateau. People plateau. Yeah, you plateau in the therapy session. As talk therapy gets you so far. And then. I want to figure out like. But you're saying kind of two things, right? On one hand, you're saying, you know what? I'm good. I don't want to mess up because well, I'm doing well. all the different parts of him exactly. are talking. There's like multiple parts. Absolutely. But on the other no, hand, it's like, it, but no. I have unresolved stuff. What I'm saying is I'm good enough. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Yep. I have a really low um, bar for how good I need to be. But isn't that the AA slogan, like, don't let the good be the enemy of the best? I've never heard that before. No. Okay, well, I... That's not in the rooms. Don't let the good be the enemy of the best. I see my slogan is, if it's okay, it's great. Well, if you're not dead, right? Like, you're, no, 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 you're no. functional. No, my yeah. slogan, and, I, and I, it's, my, it's my slogan for Dopey, if it, and I don't, I don't write it on any merchandise or anything, mm. but if it's okay... It's great. And what that allows me to do is put out a show every week. 
it allows me to feel, I feel like dopey's good because nothing in dopey is bad. You know, if something's bad, then it's not okay and it's not good That's enough. binary, though. That's very black and white. Right? I'm saying <laughs> I see it more like Dolby sound. Like, my life is in a pocket of acceptability. I like, I don't love all of it. I like enough of it enough that it's good enough right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it could be. I would love to be fully evolved and present and out there. What's in your way of that? Fear, fucking, what else? What's in the way of that? Just logistics of life. You're onto something huge with Dopey, by the way. I mean, I saw the response. Help me figure it out. I saw the response in DopeyCon. I need to figure it out. I feel like in a few years, that'll be like at the Beacon Theater or or bigger. I I don't think so. The Beacon, come on. I'm just saying. I think, I, I think, people are going I think crazy in order for you to there. get there, you need to look under your own hood. I know. We need to figure this out. Mm-hmm. All right. Was there anything that you didn't say that you wanted to say? <laughs> uh, like a million things. No, I, don't I know. could sit here all day. Is there anything that you would that you feel like we missed in this conversation? I think we covered a lot of really right. cool ground. One of the things I want to talk about just quickly is there. Ob- there's this thing called the psychedelic renaissance, right? Which is just there's that a sounds t- really good. There's to me a. T- <laughs> There's a tidal wave of this happening right now in medicine, just in pop culture, everything. You can't even like read anything and not read about, you know, psilocybin or ketamine or whatever it is. And, you know, a lot of people are now kind of looking for this treatment. Oh my God, it's gonna fix me right away, which it probably won't fix you right away, right? That is not likely. But my point in that is that um, you know, there there's and it's happening on the treatment side too, right? A lot of therapy people, the treaters, caregivers want to get into this. They want to learn how to provide, you know, psychedelic therapy, how to give ketamine and all of that stuff. So one of the things that happens is patients are in an interesting position where so a person can, you know, you ha- might have your therapist and now you say, "Wait a minute, I do I want to do ketamine assisted therapy." Well, guess what? Your therapist doesn't provide it. So now you got to go find another therapist to go do this, right? So one of our missions at Skylight is to kind of help democratize all of this with, ke- with regards to ketamine. I also want to say, you know, we don't currently prescribe psilocybin. We don't treat people with psilocybin or anything like that. Nothing, nothing that's illegal, right? Ketamine is an FDA-approved drug. Why doesn't it say ketamine on your medicine? Head? Yeah, well, we have one that says ketamine. But why do you wear the psilocybin? Because uh, I had someone I had because yeah, we're today. huge uh, advocates of legalization yeah, of psilocybin. And this Prop 122 in Colorado is probably going to, you know, legalize it soon and everything. Like you that, can. So. We, I mean, they're they're for sale in Washington Square Park right now in the open, like big time. Like they sell, and they're like not like. I mean, I saw some kid pull out like a uh, gallon bag of mushrooms and a scale and weigh them out for whoever. But then I saw this other guy who had these vials that are prepackaged where there's mushrooms in the top, and you press it, and the mushrooms go into the shot, and you shoot. They might not be psilocybin mushrooms, but they're labeling them as magic mushrooms. There are other mushrooms. I mean, I think it's important to know where you get your yes. medicine So from. you're saying these guys in the park are not reputable I don't know that that's where dealers? I would go. <laughs> I wonder if I ever had real mushrooms then. You would know. All right. Let's, uh, we, we're on to something. Well, we're on to like, totally de- we're trying to democratize this for both, for both patients and therapists, right? So therapists can get the training they need to be able to do this in a reasonable, affordable way, and that patients can access the medicine in a safe way, stay with their therapist, so then your therapist could do our training and then get the treatment. So right? they can feel safe. 
Exactly. And you don't have to start over with a new therapist with all your I trauma. want a new therapist. Well, frankly. then that's different. I, that's want, a new, I want a new therapist. I love I, my therapist, but I, I'm I have different. a great does, therapist. Does he or she listen to the podcast? No, she doesn't listen to the podcast. Okay. Nobody, nobody really listens to the podcast. It's weird. Like, like I, obviously, there's people that listen to it, but nobody that I really know listens to it except for like dopey fans. Um, I would love to know your therapist. I'm mm-hmm. down to try somebody else. Um, what were we going to say? We were going to say something else. Oh, yeah. Just. Because both of you seem like... When's the last time you took mushrooms? Uh, God, it's been a while. It's been it's been a minute. How long? Like, what's years. a minute? How many years? Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember the last time I took... When's the last time so you, you... You took it, like, you know. yesterday. Last <laughs> yeah. night, you were, like, fucking dancing around a fire. Well, when's the last time you took... Pretty mushrooms? much. I think I just need to rein it in a little. So so physicians cannot... Wait, why, why do you want to rein it no, in? Because uh, I want to tell you, physicians cannot even legally smoke marijuana. I mean, legally you can, but you can lose your medical license. Right. So there's a lot. So we can't put it out there. We can't really discuss it, even though there are a lot of people who are out there talking about, you know, they'll be at a psychedelic conference, some of these big wigs, and talk about all the medicine they do. I don't know how they're not worried about that. Have you ever put liquid thing. LSD in your eyes? No, I have not put it in my eyes. So you don't have one of these droppers in I your pocket right now? I do have a dropper, right but I don't put it in LSD my eye. In <laughs> so you take liquid LSD? I mean, I have done those things. I've not, I can't say that I do them now, so that's an important But thing. that's fantastic. That's something I never got to do is have liquid. Mm-hmm. That's something I always wanted to do. I, I was always afraid about putting it in my eyes, but I like the that idea. Mm-hmm. Have you ever put liquid LSD in your eyes? But you nope. buy Iboga from fucking the Netherlands? Well, they gave it to me for free. It was amazing, <laughs> really. Like that was an, I, I was 24. I was a TV producer. The internet was certainly not the place it is now and it was one of those fucked up wonky screens like bright yellow and blue and and they sold everything and it was like it was probably right before shit changed they had pre-silk road it was pre-silk road it was pre-dark web and it was probably pre-real internet policing you know what i mean because they were selling of mushrooms course. Yeah, it was Wild West. i don't know about ayahuasca and i certainly didn't see mdma because i would have ordered some but i didn't have any money okay mm-hmm. i was spending all of my money on heroin all of it i didn't even pay my rent and um i wrote them and i was like i'm a heroin addict and i don't have any money but i have a good job can you please send me some iboga so i can get off of heroin and then i'll pay you for it and they were like yes and they just shipped it to me. And they, but they couldn't ship it here, okay? Mm-hmm. So they shipped it to Canada. Yeah, to Mexico or Canada. They yeah. shipped it to Canada. And then one of my friends and I drove to Toronto. Yeah, you won't drive to the grocery store, but boy, you'll go to we Canada. We drove to Toronto, and I'm, I was doing dope all the way up there. We got to a gas station in Fredonia, New York, which is the last exit before whatever Canada was. I hid the dope behind the mirror. We got the Iboga at FedEx in fucking Canada drove back i taped it to my leg because my friend was so scared about transporting it in the fucking you know like customs. they would have known what the well, no, they got, was. we pull up we pull up to the customs and the customs set, and my friend is a straight he's like a, a corporate lawyer and you know he's he's not good under pressure and the customs but goes, he's great driving with you to fucking canada while you're doing dope the whole way he's a good friend <laughs> he's a loyal friend and and the guy says to my friend justin he goes are you transporting any fruits vegetables drugs herbs and my friend's like, like i was like no and then we just drove through but he freaked out and i had and there were like these big pouches of kind of brown green powder taped and to then my when calf. did you, when did you do it then i got the dope in fredonia 
behind the mirror, but it was wet, so I ate it, which was very unsatisfying. And I did it that night. So that, like, all of that is so so scary. wrong. So, it's so wrong, wrong, dude. You can't. Yeah, I mean, you need to to do any kind of real psychedelic work on yourself. You have to detox. You have to rehab. You have to aftercare. You get to a fucking stable place, and then you start to do the work. I think because you, you're also. I mean, you you were probably still so. I mean, high on, you have on to the think, opioids. right? Like, oh yeah, yeah definitely. Like, yeah. Re- really, right, Dave? Something happened to you at some point in your life, and that's why you were addicted, right? For that long, you were covering up something, and maybe you don't even know what it is. I don't. And it could have been the silliest. Right now, if you look at it, what it was, it could have been the silliest, stupidest thing that you can think of. But you don't know when you're developing brain, you're a kid, and something happens to you, and you feel one way, and it could it just gets stuck in there, right? Right. So. When you take those medicines, it shows you what that shit was, what that was that pushed you there and that makes you keep going back to pushing it all down. All of the stuff, right? Because you had lived a whole life of not feeling anything. Right. Because you just were medicated, you were medicating something that you didn't want to feel, right? And so the psychedelics show you what the shit, what happened and then help you to work through that. But it's interesting, though, that how much I enjoyed. It's like I loved heroin and I loved benzos. I loved pushing the shit down. I loved numbing myself out. But I loved the psychedelics. Mm-hmm. And I loved, uh, I loved trying to understand and I loved learning in it. And I, I mean, like, you can tell that I'm totally ambivalent about this, that, like, I feel like what you guys do is a really cool thing. And I'm sure you can both also tell how tempted I am to be like, let's do it now. Put me in the yeah, room. Yeah, there's a lot. Put on, put on lot Ram Das. Let's go. Um, but, I'm, but I'm cautious and I want to protect what I've built. Mm-hmm. And I'm really okay with that. And, um, but I'm also open to it helping me and helping other people. And I think this has been like, Honestly, like really a cool conversation. Maybe it's even a Friday night show. I don't. Know, I don't know about the that. marquee. <laughs> I don't know but, about that. But, like, but Dave, I think what you're expressing—it's really important because it's probably the voice of a lot of people out there having exactly the same response. It is right. It really, it really is. is. It's very honest. It's very raw, and it's very real. And and we like it. Like we're not here to candy coat things. Like no, we just want to only look at. Everything working and everything perfect is not. This is a messy business. If you didn't look at it that way, I wouldn't feel comfortable talking to you. Yeah. And this show would never go on. If you didn't look at it that way, I would never feel comfortable airing a show like this. Yeah. I mean, this is the conversation that has to happen. I have a quick question for you. So say you you were to. um, Yes, Dr. Lehrman. The last time you relapsed, right? What if some? She's what if we? You for this right now, what if we I'm said to you? Yes. Um. So you you detox, you rehab, your aftercare. What if we said, would you would you ex- do a, a medicine session now in this setting? Twenty. You're talking about how many years have you been? How many? How many years? Seven years. <laughs> okay. So say seven years ago. Yes. After you got clean. Yes. We had this conversation with you. Oh, I would have been like, lock me in the room and put on the the Ram Dass. Because why? Because I didn't build a, a sober life. Okay. And because so you, and I love uh-huh. psychedelics. Uh-huh. And I would have loved I mean, when I got sober, I didn't go away. In twenty fifteen, I didn't go away. I just started going to meetings. It was like it had been the end of my family and I had a chance to fix my family and it didn't get fixed. And I found myself begging my wife to let me smoke pot, like writing her a letter. And I had my own Bill W white light moment writing this letter and I was like what am I fucking doing I'm 41 and I'm begging her to let me smoke weed to see my kid and I was just like 
I was like, I gotta go. <laughs> I got. I gotta. Is I this gotta where be. you met Chris? No, I met I met Chris before. hardcore in rehab in 2011. 11, right? Okay. And we both relapsed a ton after that. But like, I I went to AA because I was obsessive, not because I was an alcoholic, and because they said the obsession for anything can be lifted if you try this. So I went there to lift the obsession, and I put a shitload of work in, and my obsession was lifted. And then my family returned to me because I was better, you know? Um, yeah, you got a lot of benefit there, for I think sure. the take-home, I think, really, it's, and it's important, and I understand what you're saying. You've worked really hard for seven years. You feel like you're in a place where you... Or, you it's know, good enough. It's good enough. Yeah. Right. But is good enough good enough? I don't know. It's good right, enough. That's but, a, it right, is. Yeah. but if it is for you, it is. Right. It could be better. Right. It's 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 it's, it's uh, I'm attracted to the idea of it. I'm attracted to the idea of of have. I also like getting. I like and it, this is going to bother both of you. I like. I'm just going to say I like getting fucked up. But I like getting altered. I like having altered consciousness. I like all of that stuff. And I've managed to I mean I started using drugs when I was like 19 and I and I never stopped using them until I was 41 Mm -hmm. so I don't want to reintroduce something because this is the first time I've had any sort of actual adulthood Mm -hmm. where I'm actually reliable responsible productive things are going well Mm -hmm. so that's my reasoning and you don't want want to lose it you have a lot to lose is what you're saying and i think that's appropriate and i don't think that you know if you're saying all these things and you feel this way i don't think that you know psychedelics would make sense for you at this point in your life if that's how you feel I wanted you to tell me I have to take them. Let's go. Let's go. Take, let's go outside. And take some now. I mean, I have. Why do we have to go outside? Let's go. <laughs> let's do it. I'll put on some Ram Dass. And do I need the eye mask or can I see things? Is that allowed? Um, we have eye masks. Well, we also have VR. Virtual reality. Oh yeah, that was yeah. You guys almost did, we almost did virtual reality at DopeyCon until the board stepped in. Yeah, we would have had our units there. Yeah, for sure. Listen, this has been beyond fascinating to me. I'm going to say one more time. Is there anything you want people to hear that we haven't said? Because, you know, I've had a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun for me. Anything else? There's got to be. There's probably 20 things. I'm just, it's eluding me right now. I don't know. Um. It's an exciting time for this. Keep an eye on it. You know, the science is really explosive. Um, there's a lot of data Listen, coming out. Listen, check it out. If there's nothing else you want to add right now, you have my phone number. If you want to pop in, we can edit it in. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm saying in future episodes, if you want to yeah. pop in with, with the psychedelic corner, we'll do it. Okay. But, but thank you guys for coming on. You're very thank welcome. You. This has been fascinating. Listen, we're constantly putting the latest, um, you know, data news articles on the website, all that stuff. So you can find it there. Skylightpsychedelics.com. Shameless plug. Skylightpsychedelics.com. Yeah. And um, and you guys have my number. So fuck Great. it. Thank we you guys you. for coming on. This has been really way better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and uh, I think it's awesome. Low expectations. Good. The opposite of Novak. What did, why? What did I what say? About no-, no, what he said at Dopey. What did he say? Remember how he thought it was going to be uh, much bigger than it was? <laughs> How dare he say that? That it was, was fucked it, up. It was so packed. It was my, like my alarm in my house just went. What happened? I don't know. The back door. Someone's someone, stealing the I fucking MDMA. Someone, there's none there, but uh, the liquid That's LSD stores. This podcast isn't live, is it? Well, I'm just kidding. All right, thank you guys very, very much. <laughs> Thanks thank for having you, us. Dave. It was awesome. All right, Ray. So those were the ketamine people. 
I thought she was going to force you to take acid. I was hoping she was going to force me to take acid. <laughs> the doctor has prescribed acid for you. I only take psychedelics as prescribed, Ray Brown. Right. The doctor has prescribed it. I would never take it, um, whatchamacallit, recreationally. But but prescription is prescription. <laughs> if I get hurt, if I if I get caught up in some weird thresher accident and my arm is rip, ripped off, oh. I'm going to take some sort What's of painkiller. What's that called in AA? Like a freebie? or It's a free lapse. Free, a free lapse? Yes. Oh. So my, my depression might give way to the free lapse of ketamine right. and psilocybin and maybe a little MDMA chaser. Yes. I think it's so weird. Like ketamine was like, I first heard of it in New York, like the club kids and the K-hole and it became a punchline. You know? Yes. And then, then I went to Ireland and it's like ketamine is like coffee there. Like everybody takes it. Like I don't know anybody that takes ketamine. When's the last time you took ketamine? I can't remember. A long, long time ago. Did you take it in the heyday of gay club life in New York City? I did not like it. It was not for me. See, I really liked it. No. I really I really liked ketamine. There's, I, o- I only took it by choice the one time. And uh, and I really, I like, I love that wobbly feeling. I just do. It's in, in Dublin, you're walking down the street and there's people just laying on the sidewalk. And I was like, what's going on? And they're like, this, my friend, is ketamine. I wish I could do an Irish accent and be like, the ketamine pandemic. <laughs> Can you do a good like Irish? All my Irish friends do ketamine. I don't know anyone here that does Frosted ke- lucky charms that are magically <laughs> delicious. I wish I could. I, I, when I waited tables, I could do accents. I can't because I, yeah. I, I need to be around an accent. It's a me, Luigi. He's <laughs> <laughs> ruling our co-op. <laughs> it's a me, a Luigi. Wait, what were you saying? Is I was painting once. And I'm like, do I throw out the paint cans or does the super throw them? And the super goes, you must throw them out. Is ruling our co-op. What accent is that? <laughs> Russian. That's the Russian. I don't know. Todd used to say, oh, Giuseppe, uh, we've been a friend for years. <laughs> Did you see the Super Mario Brothers don't have an accent? What do you mean? They don't have the Italian accent in the new movie, but then they're like that. They didn't have that at the beginning. They're from Brooklyn. They're not Italian. They're like Brooklyn. But you, in Brooklyn Italians talk like that. Say yeah, yeah, Ouija, capisce? <laughs> All right. Now, what kind of firestorm do you think the ketamine people are going to unleash? Well, the what is it? The harm reduction people. Is there maps? Is there what is? Or they were talking about maps. Who? I don't know. In there, there's an acronym for like harm maps. Re- was like that was my friend Sasha De Bruyne. Maps. That was like uh, let's look up what is the maps acronym. Um, I, well, that she was like really, really wanted you or people to take. You were like, I'm in recovery. I can't take anything, and she was like, I'm prescribing it for you. That no, that's not true. Hold on, something maps. like that. I don't. See, what does the acronym map mean? Minimum advertised price. Oh, Jesus, Ray. We're going down. Anyway, it was like the the harm reduction people or a lot of people smoke weed and they're going to argue about it. Well, I mean, I think and and the interesting thing is that I have a friend and I talked about it with them. I have a friend who's depressed, Mm -hmm. suicidally depressed, and I'm desperate for him to get into their program and and he's too depressed to even call them. Oh, you were talking about him. Yeah, and the thing. And, And I think like. I want to know what does a ketamine addict, right? Like, yeah. like you just talked about this ketamine wave in, in Ireland or yeah. in, in Brooklyn or in Italy or wherever yeah. this ketamine addict might be is suffering depression. 
do they relapse if you treat them with ketamine? Yeah. And if they do ketamine at home, does it treat depression? Right. And or, or I mean, it's it's amazing that this is a thing. And if it works well, I just want to know how it works yeah. for addicts. And I also want to I would I would love to know how uh, like the microdose thing just sounds amazing to me. I have a friend that microdoses. Who? Cherry. And and how often is Cherry microdosing? Every day. Still? And a doctor prescribes it. She found a doctor in California to prescribe it. Yeah. Would you want to do that? No. What were your mushroom years? What was the peacon? What was the peacon at the beacon story? It sounds like an Almond Brothers. <laughs> yeah, sounds peacon. like an Almond Brothers reference. I saw the Almond Brothers at the beacon and the, I come from work and this guy's like, Do you want some mushrooms? And I was like, No thanks. And then I fell asleep during the show because I was so tired. But when I was in college, so you weren't peeking at the Beacon. I did not. I should. I fell asleep at the uh, Tedeschi Trucks show at the Beacon recently. I kept waking up, and there'd be this incredibly loud band right in front of me. <laughs> Do you like the Almond Brothers? I love the Almond Brothers. So why did you fall asleep at because I at the was Beacon? so tired. You were sleeping at the Beacon. I was sleeping, at the, but when I was in college, and I didn't have any money, like I did, I didn't have money for food, and uh, um, I I discovered that there was mushroom fields all around me. And me and my friends would ride our bikes to the mushroom fields. And, you know, I should have known then, like, I took them differently than my friends because we would pick them, we're going to make tea and have a party. And I would just devour them in the fields right off the cow shit with the cows and the cow skeletons, and I would just melt into the earth. And my friends would What do you mean cow skeletons? If you go to cow pastures, often there's skeletons of cows. Really? Yeah. I've never seen a cow skeleton. No? Sounds like a Star Wars kind of thing, like in Tatooine with the the dinosaur on it. Oh, yeah. But I took so many mushrooms because, I I don't know, it just kind of like should have been like, I'm taking them differently than other people, but they were free. And I I would just eat them, eat them, eat them. And then... I wouldn't want to party. I would want to go into a dark room and sit like, alone and think yeah. about stuff. Yeah. Imagine the cop, cop you could 69. And go down the rabbit hole. But I just remembered, I've been talking to this young lady in Missouri, and she her thing is ketamine. That's her drug. And Molly. I was like, I don't think there's other things. But um, What about her? That I was saying I don't know anybody that does ketamine, but But this is interesting because these people the ket- I, you know, I should call this show the Ketamine Doctors, but I think the Ketamine People sounds so <laughs> ominous. Um, it's like a '50s science fiction, right? Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, like, like your friend in Missouri, she takes ketamine and she takes MDMA, yeah. and those are these new medicines. Yeah, yeah, I think it's funny that they thought I would have a thing between drugs and medicine. Like, what the fuck do I care if you call it drugs or medicine? Right, right. Like, how could that make any impact on me at all? Yeah. But I have to say that as a person in recovery that lives for psychedelics, like, I like psychedelics. I love ketamine. I love MDMA. I loved mushrooms. It, it's it, The whole conversation fucked me up. It's all risk-reward. I do not want anyone to listen to this and feel compelled to use. That's why I didn't air it, by the way. Yeah. I didn't air it because I was scared that it would be triggering. Or you could be like, I'm depressed. I'm going to try ketamine on my own. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's exactly why I didn't air it. And now it's aired. Do you think this is a mistake, Ray Brown? Yeah. Um, I had the same thought. Like, what was I was telling you something recently. We're like, that's like a drug addict thought. 
as soon as I heard this, I'm like, I wonder if I could get ketamine from my friend, my Irish friend who lives here. And be less depressed. Yes. <laughs> I'll do it. Because it's like two grand to take it. I'm like, it's $10 in Dublin to buy ketamine. It's two grand to take this ketamine therapy. I told you, like, there's somebody who wore a St. Patrick's Day shirt that said, uh, are you Irish? Because my penis is Dublin. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> I, fucking, I think every time you mention Dublin, that's all I can think of. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I hope nobody was triggered. If you were triggered, please uh, write an email or a voicemail to dopeypodcast.gmail.com. Talk to your sponsor. Talk to somebody at a meeting. Don't run out and do ketamine or psilocybin or MDMA willy-nilly. It's all risk-reward. I was just saying to somebody yesterday, I used to take so much acid and mushrooms, and then that stopped, and like I would never. like It's terrifying to me to think about taking a psychedelic. I would take... See, just to be totally honest yeah. here, I would take any psychedelics as long as there was a lot of weed. And I would be excited. Really? To, yeah, I really liked it. I really, I liked, I really loved smoking weed while I took psychedelics to mellow me out. I don't. I wonder. I don't remember I, the last. I never I did took. that. I never smoked weed. Oh, I I would be tripping, and I I wouldn't stop smoking weed the whole oh. time. I don't remember the last time I took a psychedelic, I, I, at all. Nineteen eighty-seven was the last time I took a psychedelic. Really? Yeah. Uh, you never in your resurgence in the. Um, in the cat weasel scene, tripped out with those kids? Those kids, they weren't druggy. They smoked weed and they drank beer. So you never... You, so what was the last time you tripped? Um, uh, this, the, my friend, who was the drummer in my band, she, got, she was in college. And I went up to Columbia and we took acid in her dorm room. And then we walked... We went to the World Trade Center and we were tripping. And then we went back and we took another hit... And we went to Times Square to see Times Square, but it was like four in the morning and Times Square turns off or it did at that point. It's more, it turns off and then it turns homeless and, and like it turns yeah. rough. Yeah. And then we were like, we need to get out of here. And we yeah. went back to my apartment. No, we went to Union Square and I was watching that clock. Yeah. And then, that weird counter. Yeah. Timer. Thing. No, not that thing. That hadn't been invented yet. Which was the clock? The, the, um, the Apple? Con Ed. Okay. The, that that four-pyramid building hadn't been built yet. And I wrote a song. I just watching that clock and just like the sands of time. I was tripping out. And uh, I wrote a song about it recently. It's like a 15-minute song about What's watching song that clock. Called? It's called First Rule of Flow Chain. I've heard that song. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was not a recent song. That's a, that's a, that song is a few It's 2015. Ago. Yeah, it's a few years old, and uh, but you are working on music with Cormac. I heard we're starting. We haven't really. We're, we're talking. All right. There's a pre-contemplative music scene I'm, with Cormac. I'm writing a lot. Well, you wrote a lot for DopeyCon. No, I mean I'm I'm writing a lot of new songs, like a whole bunch. What can we look out for in the future, Ray Brown? Well, it'd be cool to do something with Cormac because he's so professional you know and i'm so not professional and he's a ripping guitar player as well yeah yeah and singing big singing voice yeah, yeah. and you sing very well on this heroin uh version heroin. i think the last time i did a psychedelic was alone i think i tripped ecstasy alone in my apartment on 24th street that's a party yeah it was not not <laughs> not that fun but anyway, it's like, it's like cocaine always starts off at a party and you wind up alone in your bedroom yeah, I started out alone in my bedroom and ended up <laughs> alone in my bedroom. Um, all right, Ray. 
This has been a fun bonus episode. Everybody, please uh, send in stories. If you send in a story, you get free socks. Leave a review for my dad to read. If you want to be an intern, you know, write me. I could use a couple interns to do a bunch of stuff. Do you have an intern? Not at the moment. I could use some interns. Uh, Ray, you want to say goodbye? Goodbye. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. And thank you, Ray. I want to take a walk around the world I wonder would it do me any good Until I get some money in my pocket Then I guess I'll just have to walk around my So bad, so bad But bad desire's all I've ever had Oh yeah I wanna be good So bad, so bad Bad desire's all I've ever had Wanna take a ride up in the sky Watch those airplanes just pass me by I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of those people What it means to be alive Wanna be good So bad So bad Bad desire's all I've ever had I wanna be good So bad So bad Yeah, yeah Bad desire's all I've ever had Shadows getting smaller and smaller And it's high noon where I stand My shadows getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller And it's high noon where I stand busted city far behind I'll take the high road however far it winds cause peace and love are very 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 hard to find 
And I wanna be good So bad, so bad Bad desires all I've ever had I wanna be good So bad, so All I've ever had It's all I've ever had